<laughs> that means that okay. Graham gets to go first every time. Excellent. <laughs> oh, dear. So that means I can't use one. I think the other summed it up nicely. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is ARR Raw, and this is episode 18. I believe it's June 2017. I had to double check there as I'm recording been a busy time. Hey, um, you got to realize that uh, Adventure Rider Radio and AR Raw is powered by two things. One, listener support, and two, some advertising. In the case of Raw, we don't have any advertising on here. If you're interested in advertising on here, get a hold of us and, uh, and we can talk about it. Right now, it's listener support. So if you if you find value in what we're doing and you'd like to help out, we'd certainly appreciate it. We can use it. Drop by the website www.adventureriderradio.com and click on the support button. Now I got to warn you ahead of time, this one's a long one. We're over two hours on this. Enjoy. I'm Jim Martin. This is ARR Raw. Okay, we're ready to go? Yeah. Anyone not ready? From the Canoe West Media Studio on the shores of Lake Superior, Ontario, Canada, it's June 2017, and welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and basically anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. I'm Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable, afforded through the magic of the internet, I'm joined by our regular Overland co-hosts. I'll start with... I'm not supposed to start with them. I forgot. I'm going to start with Grant. Grant, uh, what? What? You're you're in BC, right? Yes, just got back last night. We were at uh, Hub UK, our biggest travel event of the year over the weekend. You've had some sleep then. Yeah, I got some sleep finally. It's been uh, a super busy week. It's like I said, it's our biggest event of the year. We had hundreds and hundreds of people there. We had uh, like 90 presentations, which just blew me away. And uh, it's it's a flat out week for sure. But, it was wonderful to meet all the our old friends from the UK and from all over the world. We had people from South Africa and Australia and everywhere you can think of were there. It was a great weekend. We actually had absolutely stunning, fantastic, once-in-a-lifetime hot weather in Wales. It was amazing. You know, I feel like I missed out on this because I've sort of I've been away from the internet. We're traveling now, and and we just haven't had any internet. And what we do have, we have on cellular, so it's expensive. I just feel like I missed out on that. I saw a few posts about the hub meet going on, and, and it looked like there was tons of stuff happening. But yeah, I feel totally out of the loop. Yep, you were. It's, uh, if you weren't there, if you're anywhere near the UK and you weren't there, you really missed out. It was a fantastic event. We had uh, happy smiles everywhere, all kinds of people having a good time. It was really, really good. And also at the event, Graham, Graham Field is also with us, just returned from the Hub UK event. Matter of fact, I don't think you've been to bed for three days, is it? <laughs> it has been. A, was this the, the longest day of the year? And uh, mine started at 2.30 this morning. It is now 11 o'clock at night. And I always enjoy the longest day of the year. I think it's a magical day, and I do like to try and enjoy it as much as I can. I've only missed two and a half hours of it. I uh, flew from the UK <laughs> to Bulgaria today. And um, while we're broadcasting, um, tomorrow's going to happen. So I think I've got my money, Swift. <laughs> Not in the UK. We have Sam Manicom, fresh off his bike. Oh, sorry, I couldn't resist hey. that. Oh, no, thank you very much. Can we take a break from comments like that? <laughs> now? 
Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you got my pan, I hope. Oh, no, I didn't, actually. <laughs> I must be a little well, slow. Uh, that was good. We got it. We got it. Even though we're not here yet, we yeah, got the yeah, pan, yeah. Sam. And that, of course... It was bad. That, of course, is the voice of Shirley Hardy Ricks and the groan of Brian Ricks in Australia waking up to a beautiful sunrise and possibly a train going by and a cat outside. Well, um, it's actually the shortest day of the year here, so the sun won't be up for hours yet. <laughs> it's still very dark. Oh, wow. What time is it? Yes. Uh, 6 a.m. 6 a.m. Are you always up this early? No. No. <laughs> And of course, it was fairly quick and resounding, wasn't it? You know, I knew the answer to that before I even asked. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, you should never ask a question early. you don't know the answer to. I, I was going to say good morning from down under. We've uh, we've just, as Shirley said, um, welcomed the the shortest day of the year yesterday, and and it's it's been a pretty sad time for us. My mum passed away, um, so I've had done a eulogy and uh, been trying to sort out things up on the, the old farm that's been in the family since 1938. Anyone want to buy seven tractors? Yeah. <laughs> I've got seven tractors there. I'm going to keep one, which is the, 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 the thing I learnt to drive on, which was, an, uh, and Sam would know this, a Ferguson, uh, Massey, um, Harris Massey Ferguson. Yeah, uh, too right. Yeah, uh, which dates from about 19, I'm trying to work out when, but 49 to 53, I think. And uh, I can remember as a little boy, I was about four or five maybe, I had to push down on the bottom of the steering wheel so my weight would push the clutch in so I could put it into gear and then ease myself up and jump on the tractor seat and drive it for Dad. And that's how I learned to drive. So I'm going to try and restore that um, old Ferguson tractor. And that may well be my next um, uh, vehicle to travel around the world. Who knows? What do you reckon, Shirley? Fantastic. I, I just it. reckon that story says a lot about how you ride the motorbike. Oh. oh. <laughs> I'm not even going to draw a link between that and the BMW. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't do that. Oh, no, don't do Dro- that. <laughs> For our, our topics today on ARRA, what I did was just put out a, a quick little post on um, Facebook, as you guys saw, asking people for some questions. Then we took all the questions. We had quite a few people uh, respond and give questions. Um, some of them varied from uh, the somewhat uh, ridiculous and, and others funny. And we sort of aggregated and, and reviewed them and got them down to some questions that probably make sense for us to tackle here. So the first one was from Grace Cho. And um, her question was, um, what have you noticed, admired, detested most in adventure motor travelers in their 20s um, that you've met along the way as you've been traveling? And I think I'm, I'm sort of, we're going to reword that to sort of what stands out about younger travelers. And I think this is really interesting because there's a whole, um, well, as we're, as we're talking about, you know, about getting older, there's a whole, uh, I think, era that's changing there and, and younger people have different ideas and, and they see the world differently. And what have you guys noticed? I mean, have you guys bumped into younger travelers? Is there a whole new mindset of younger travelers that are coming out? The number one thing I've seen is that they expect to be connected all the time. And I mean all the time. They're, they're on their phones, they're using it, they're taking pictures on their phones, they're posting from their phones, they're just connected always, everywhere. And when they're not connected, they're what, what, there's something wrong here. What, what's, where'd the internet go? They don't know what to do with it. <laughs> it's, just, it's just this whole thing about being connected and 
here I am, here's what I'm doing, and what do you think? And they expect immediate responses all the time. It's, it's quite uh, a change from when we traveled when we had no connection except maybe a phone call once a month. Sam, you've just been touring the U.S. Does it mm. give you any insight to this? Well, what I, and what Grant said is absolutely right. Um, I meet so many people that are just wanting to be connected all of the time. Um, but, you know, there are an awful lot of things that are no different at all um, to earlier days around the world. There seems to be just this big, wide-eyed enthusiasm and the hunger to learn. And th there's also that fear of the unknown. And I love to see all of these things, although I'm always trying to persuade people to get rid of that word fear. Um, and just replace it with respect. So they're respecting the unknown. It just seems a little bit less um, stressy way of, of looking at it. Um, the guys seem to have um, a lot more um, purchased kit rather than kit that they've had to think about and make for themselves. Um, so they're hitting the road just that much better equipped than people did, say, 10, 20 years ago. Um, and I hope that that all enhances their trips. It does bother me a little bit that so much money gets spent on equipment pre-hitting the road, um, which, of course, can cut down on the amount of money that there is available to spend there. But for me, the keys are the fact that they've still got that wide-eyed enthusiasm and they're just itching to get out there and learn and stretch themselves. Now, I've noticed that same thing. They're all out there and they're, they're highly enthusiastic. In fact, it's really... Um, exciting to see their level of enthusiasm where some of the older ones are yeah been there done that and this is really cool but yeah so what whereas the young ones it's all new it's all exciting and that's terrific but i'm not sure i agree with you on the purchased kit uh, i see a lot of young travelers that are traveling on almost nothing and doing with with very little what they don't do so much is make good stuff good equipment they don't make panniers anymore and stuff like that because you can buy all of that stuff but they, they really tend to make do more with a lot less stuff. And, and there was a lot of people that we did as well. There is, there is a breed um, of people going around the world at the moment who are real make-do artists. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you just got to look at Ed March with his shopping basket on the front of his um, Honda C90 and things like that. Yep. Um, and that. I do see people that are just finding any old thing to sling over the back of um, their motorcycle. Um, but, yeah, as you mentioned earlier on, the guys have got their phones, they've got their GoPros, they've got um, the, the best water filters that they can find, they've got solar panels that they're carrying with them, all of those sorts of things. And mm -hmm. those are basically trip-enhancing, aren't they? But, um, sure. yes, spending a huge amount of money on kit that might be useful, that's always the risk, I think. Oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. If it's electronic and it allows you to connect, it's not just useful, it's required. It's absolutely, you've got to have it. <laughs> and anything that allows you to take pictures, more pictures, video, and send it out there, that is required kit. That's not optional kit. Today. I do regret, you know, um, you know, from early travels of mine, that there wasn't digital photography around. And oh. um, mobile phones just take such fantastic photos nowadays, don't they? Um, oh, yeah. I'm I think the Sony Picture Awards last year, um, was it six out of, of the ten winning photos were from mobile phones? It was something like that. It, it was a real gobsmacker. Yeah, uh, once very, very time, handy. When we had our early photo contests, uh, mobile phone pictures just didn't make the cut because they weren't uh, adequate resolution. We had, in the last calendar, we had one or two pictures. And the year before, we had one or two pictures that were from mobile phones, and they were plenty high enough resolution to print large format calendar size. It's, it's spectacular how good they are now. And for we people, can't tell to look at them which is which. 
for people that are a little older, you know, having grown up without the technology, it seems an odd thing to carry. But if you were, you know, if you've grown up with technology, like even my kids have, they've grown up with these, uh, these electronic devices being connected to them. Um, like you said, you know, it's, it's required, but it's also just, it's the way of life. It's the way, um, it's the way they've learned it right from the start. I mean, Graham, yeah. you just spent the, you know, several days there with your daughter. She was, I'm sure, connected on her cell phone while she's, you know, experiencing the, the hub meet in the UK. Yeah, but it didn't uh, stop us communicating at all. We just WhatsApped each other from each side of the table. <laughs> 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 no, and she carries a permanent charger that is about the same size as the phone because a, a dead battery is just um, unthinkable. So she permanently has a charger. Um, oh, it, she was good because um, she clearly been told, you know, <laughs> Graham will get pissed off if you're on the phone the whole time. So we had phone because I want to be on the phone as well. We're both missing people. And um, so we had phone times and we also had real life face to face live conversation times. So, uh, um, yeah, but I, and I, I really, you know, I'm not by far the first person to experience what it's like to be with a teenager who won't leave their bloody phone alone. But actually it was done to, uh, to a perfectly reasonable level and, uh, and, we, and it, it worked out all right. Yeah. What about yeah, for I you? I talked though? to your daughter a couple of times and she's an absolute sweetheart. <laughs> well, Graham, what about for you though? The people you've met along the way that are the, the younger group of travelers, do you notice anything with them? Yeah, they're really fit. <laughs> Such a change, eh? They don't get off their bike and go, oh. <laughs> Try to straighten up. Yeah, and, and their energy levels are huge. I mean, they're naive, but they've, they've got loads of energy, so they can... Uh, <laughs> I, I think the only remark I was really going to make about the younger travellers was, I mean, obviously they're quite a rare breed, and when... One does walk past, when I'm at a show, when I have most contact with them, and one does walk past the stand and show a bit of interest, I take as much time as they can spare to uh, just talk to them about what they're doing, give them advice if they need it, and talk about their trip, because they're, they're rare. They don't, there's, there's so few of them, I think they need to be nurtured like a, an extinct species. And we really have to look after them and encourage them and protect them because they're what's going to carry carry this thing on forward. You know, I do find it sometimes a little tricky to distinguish my customers from one to the other because they're a similar age and a similar build and a similar hair colour and possibly a similar bike. And I sometimes, I sometimes forget who is who. So when we see someone in their 20s, they're, they're quite a unique species, and um, I've, I've got a lot of time for them. What do you mean, unique well, so species? Grand. Why? Well, because there's no new blood coming in, is there? Yes, there is. Absolutely there is. We saw that a lot at Hub UK. There was a number of younger presenters. Um, Joe Lewiston comes to mind. He's, he's in his 20s. He's enthusiastic. And he's not the only one. There, there, are, there are more coming in. I think we had a bit of a gap there. The 30-year-olds seem to be rarish, but the younger ones, the mid-20s, yes, they're coming. They're up and coming for sure. Oh, well, I don't buy books. I don't see them. But, but Graham, <laughs> well, are you talking about? They don't read. They don't read. You need a picture book. What about the What about the negatives? <laughs> well, I, I think, um, well, Shirley ended up being mother to a, a few travellers in um, – 
uh, Guazri Falls. Remember those girls? Yes. Unfortunately, they didn't know how to deal with a hangover, so they had to go to the Voice of Experience <laughs> to get some uh, information <laughs> on how to deal with a hangover. One of them thought her friend was going to die because she wasn't able to get out of bed. But um, the thing that struck me about those young people, and um, certainly I don't think this is this of all young people, but they had travelled to one of the most beautiful parts of the world. At their doorstop was the Iguazu Falls and the bird park that is just outside the entrance to the falls. And they hadn't visited either because it was much more important to hang out by the pool and drink the Pisco Sours that put them into the state where they had to come to me for advice on how to deal with a hangover. <laughs> and I found that really frustrating. And talking to yeah. them, they didn't think they'd get down there either because they were going to have to move on the next day to somewhere else to get drunk. So it just seemed um, oh to me sad. a little bit pointless, a little bit pointless of travelling to those beautiful places if all you're going to do is hang out with other young people from your own country and get um, absolutely poleaxed. But that's I think about those as no, being. No, that's what I'm saying. It's not all. It's not all. I think about those as being gap year, gap year travellers, and they mm-hmm. seem to be quite a different breed. They're they're out to go and party their way around the world, having escaped from uni or whatever it is, and um, they've got a year of freedom that they've given themselves, and they're in the party mode. Um, and that's what they're out doing. But I don't think of them so much as being overlanders. No, they're that's not. True. They're not. That's no. true, Sam. That's very true. But, you know, and the other one is that, they, that a lot of the young people have no fear. I remember coming across the, the tundra into Bolivia, sure. I remember we came across those guys on push bikes that were riding through the snow and got caught in the snowstorm and had to shelter in some um, shepherd's hut. And they were riding along with plastic bags over their feet to stop their feet from getting frostbite. They had very nice bicycle shoes on, but not very practical riding in snow shoes. Could yes. some of that surely be, be ease of travel? I mean, you think about how easy things are nowadays compared to what they used to be. I mean, I know we're doing this thing of sounding like really old folk, but but I mean, things used to be more complicated. Now everything's at your fingertips. I mean, even information and pictures of, yeah. of sites you might see, all that stuff is it's just so easy to come by. And it's it happened is. very, very and, quickly. Uh, and I should add that we are really old people, so oh. that's probably why we sound like that. <laughs> no, it's but just it early is, in the morning show, that's all. But it is so much easier now um, to get to really um, remote locations. And when, when I first did my motorcycle trip, and not motorcycle, my first overseas trip um, in the late 15th century, I certainly wouldn't have even thought of going to places like Iran or Pakistan or um, you know, parts of South America, or you know, it just, just you went to England and you went to the US and maybe bits of Europe, but um, not. I mean, obviously, Eastern Europe was a different place back in the 15th century. But um, yeah, I think it is easier for young people to get around now. And good luck to them. But I'm with Graham. We so rarely have really young folk come up to us at. Um, motorcycle expos who want to um, learn more about travel. A lot of them just say, well, you know, I've got a a job or I'm saving for a house or I want to get married and have a family, so it's something I'll have to do when I'm old like you, which sort of annoys me when they say that. But um, (laughs) Do you look around when they say that? (laughs) Where's the old person? I don't see any old people. (laughs) Who, me? (laughs) But you know, that's I think that's that's a problem for young people. In this day and age, it's it's also not as easy 
to just drop everything and go backpacking for a year like a lot of people did in the 60s and 70s. Now, in Australia in those days, it was which job will I take, not can I get a job? And I think some you know, young people think, well, I've got a really good job. If I pack it all in for a year or six months, I might come back and not get a job. Or if I don't save for another year, I may never be able to buy a house. In, an, in Australia, that's everyone wants to own their own home and it's becoming less and less achievable. So I think that's a, a problem for young travellers. You know, I think it's the same way in, in, in the UK as well. You know, there's um, a lot of emphasis on um, owning your house and so on. But I am meeting quite a few um, younger travellers coming through. And I think that this is one of the beauties of Facebook is, is having the chance to link up with them. I totally agree with Graham um, and you guys, Shirley and Brian, because I don't meet that many at um, shows and events. And no, they don't. And perhaps that's because they're buying um, their books on Kindle rather than in paperback format. Mm, um, but I mean, there are people like Nathan Harris and Aaron Mitchell. I mean, I don't know whether you guys are, are linked up with Aaron Mitchell on um, Facebook. But he is really getting out there and discovering and the little video clips that he's doing and the places that he's going to. He's bringing the world alive and his curiosity and his sense of humor is fantastic. So, you know, there are younger guys out there doing it. And if you can find them and link up with them, they're really inspirational. You know, for a point of reference, Graham, your daughter, as we said, you know, went to the Hub UK meet with you. She was obviously there while you talked to all kinds of people about your travels. She knows about your travels, and I'm sure she saw lots there. What do you think she took from that? Um, well, on the one hand, probably not quite as much as I would have hoped for. I tried to persuade her to go to like Claire Elston's talk and Tiffany Coates' talk and Helen Loy's talk and to see what, what the girls can do. Um, but she she wasn't really into doing that. Although she did, she she was she was really good at picking out the cool people, and she was hanging hanging out with Claire Elston Lowe's because her stand was next to ours, and um, she chatted to Tiffany, and we had another book, uh, another author called uh, Duncan Goff, who was sharing the author's tent, and she hung out with him. So she was very good at picking the cool people or the, the easy, the, the fun people, the easy to get on people. And um, she, she, so unfortunately she didn't go any, pro- she went to my presentation, she was part of it, but um, she didn't do, uh, she didn't go to any presentations, but she did, she, I think she enjoyed the, the whole aspect of it. I mean, she's never, she's been always sort of warned of motorbikes, you know, and how dangerous they are. And um I mean, this is her first one. Imagine what it was like. Imagine your first open-air festival, your first bike show, something like that. You're wide-eyed, aren't you, you know? So um, she dealt with it really well. Perhaps she didn't take away as much as she could have done, but she certainly enjoyed herself, which would encourage her to go to the next one, which maybe she would start going to presentations and that. So at 14 years old, Jesus, I never went to anything like that when I was 14. So um, she got a good good start on it, I think. She certainly got a bad influence as a father. I mean, make that a good influence. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was very impressed. <laughs> I, I was be on my best behaviour. I didn't start drinking until midday. <laughs> 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 I hope she realises how much you put yourself out for her. <laughs> no, I, I, I was. I really, really was. Oh, and best of all, well, best of all, um, we, we Adventure Bike TV was there, and um, they said they wanted to do an under the visor uh, update, 
because uh, I, I did one years ago, and uh, she was on it as well. She got to uh, be on it as well. So, oh, cool. yeah, very um, nice. excellent. Yeah, it was. It wasn't a totally selfless act by Tom, the producer, because uh, my daughter does singing and she's got a YouTube video. She said like forty thousand hits on a YouTube video. So he figured if he dealt wow. with her, then she they could share. They could share views. <laughs> <laughs> my TV will be promoted a little bit. <laughs> and you might find Graham when she gets home and sits back and reflects on the people she met and. Um, the things she did while she was hanging out with you that she'll then it'll have more of an impression on her in hindsight rather than um, while she was actually there taking it all in. Yep. I think Shelley could be right. It was such a full on two weeks and it was only on the plane today when I was processing. I mean, we did so much and I'm only now just sort of figuring it all out. Maybe she's doing the same as she starts to process it. Yeah, it will start to mean a bit more. And she'll start to tell her friends and they'll think it's pretty cool the things she's done. Yeah, yeah, I think so, because, uh, yeah, it's certainly, I bet none of her other friends did. They don't even, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, another question that we chose was from Mike Paul, again, off of Facebook. And I, I think it's pretty good. Um, what's the most interesting or useful item that you guys have found on the road? Graham? Oh, damn it. Um, I misunderstood <laughs> You misunderstood the question? I just realised I misunderstood the question. My answer was short and simple. Swiss Army knife, still got it, still use it. But you don't mean yeah. that, do you? <laughs> I actually, I, I read it that way too, Graham, and mine's a pegless clothesline. Don't travel without one. <laughs> I did find something on the road that I thought was very amazing and very useful and had no clue that they existed. Kiss No Tell Motels in South America. Does everybody know what those are? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I think we've talked a lot about that yes, kind of motel yes, on the yes. show. <laughs> yeah, they, I'm sure they've been mentioned before, but but to me that was the one thing that I found on the road as opposed to took with me or used on the road. And for those who don't know what it is, it's a place where you can have discrete liaisons outside of South American cities. And for us travelers, they're brilliant because you can park your bikes completely securely, safely behind the gate, there's no issues. You never even see the owner of the hotel. It's all done through telephone and through a little dumbwaiter thing. Um, they're really good. It's a great place but, to but, stay, crash out, and relax. But great, and surely, you were, surely you were scared. Why? But you, it's scared when you looked up on the ceiling and saw the mirror over the bed. <laughs> <laughs> so an old bloke free falling towards you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, I did. I want to think about that one. Um, no, I just found them to be very useful. They're great. And the nicest thing is that they're not full of backpackers. Because mm. if you go to the Lonely it's full Planet, of something else. They're, they're always clean. That was the thing I found absolutely amazing. They're absolutely clean, spotless. Um, there are some interesting supplies available in the menu uh, for reservativos, for instance, uh, which is a little. Good for you to change some of it. <laughs> but how many of you guys have used them? I mean, come on. They're great. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. We have to stick, we have to stick our hand up, surely. Not in South America. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> right. So there you go. We <laughs> use it's them. also a bit con confusing trying to work out how many hours you actually want the room for. Yeah, And they do get a little confused when you actually say 12 or 14. <laughs> we found that in a couple of truck stops in Siberia, too. They just... Uh, they were really? very confused as to why we wanted to spend the whole night at their establishment. You just think you're slow. 
Yeah, we stayed at one in, in South America in Colombia and um, the madame who was behind the counter, because this was a face-to-face one, when Birgit, she said to Birgit, how long do you guys want to stay? And Birgit said, oh, 12 hours. And she looked me up and down. You could see her thinking, wow, he must be some sort of studs. <laughs> uh, same in your dreams. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That was definitely my dreams. And no, in a foreign no, language, no. so I didn't understand what was, what was being said at the time. <laughs> no, 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 Sam. She saw the bottle of blue little tablets hanging out of your pocket. Oh. <laughs> Cut that out, Jimmy's a disgraceful old man on those The one I stayed in in Mexico had a proper garage to put your bike in and then the joining door into the bedroom. So you had like ensuite garage. And uh, <laughs> so it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Got, that's that's the standard in South America. That was no the chance you're going to get caught by the other, the other the spouse. Yeah, that's the what I was going to say. The spouse who isn't there isn't going to see you right. in those circumstances. Exactly. They've got to be completely hidden. That was the nice part about it. Your bike is safe and secure. That was the part I liked. So out of great. all of you guys, that's the most interesting thing you've found on the road is, is a, a Useful. house of ill repute? <laughs> I've, I've yeah, got one, I've, but it's, it's, it's more um, um, a thoughtful one um, than... Um, than perhaps is expected. I mean, I, yeah, I was also thinking to begin with about what equipment I found along the roads, and so I sort of mm. struggled over the question with two ways of looking at it. But the more I thought about it, the more I realised that actually the one thing that I came across on the road that was the most use for me was a chameleon. This was in Namibia, going down the roads, middle of the desert, absolutely baking hot, and there was this chameleon doing its long-legged, angular, very slow sort of taking five different body movements to place one foot slowly forward and down on the ground and so on. And I've been riding too fast. I was riding past things too quickly. I wasn't taking the time to stop out and look at them. And when I saw this comedian by the side of the road and started watching how long he was taking to make each step and how much he was observing with those big multi-swivel eyes of his, he just made me think, right, okay, Sam, you're going too fast. You've got to slow down and take more of the world in. So he was a really useful thing for me to find. Very well, nice. I like it. Wow, wow that's you deep. You wouldn't have seen him. It's for early <laughs> in the morning, isn't it, Brian? <laughs> that's deep. That's really deep. To, well, to me, to me, the most interesting thing is people. You know, oh, yeah. rather than looking at your GPS and stuff like that, you sit and talk to people. Our first trip, I remember, we had to talk to people all the way, and uh, you get some interesting conversations. You get people that would guide you places. You get people that would guide you the wrong way. But um, to me, that's what travel is all about, the, the people you meet along the way in, in their country. And they're interesting and useful. Yes, yeah, true. That's true. I was thinking of them more as interesting, less of them as useful. But you're absolutely right, useful for sure. It can be sources yeah. of amazing yeah, information. Yeah, local knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's sure. the best thing. Eric DePetris, I think I've got that right, had a, a really good question. I think this will probably help or at least interest a lot of people. Um, has anyone experienced a, a dental emergency while traveling? No, oh, please. And, and Go, how, Brian. And, and how did you solve it? Yeah, right. Okay. Um, our trip to, we started in South America, a year and a half on the road. We, yeah, we're getting all ready to go. And um, in my previous occupation, I had... Um, ability to get into the, the um, lounge area, you know, the, the exclusive, exclusive areas of uh, Airline airlines. Lounge. And uh, as we're leaving that to get on our plane to go to South America, the nice uh, waiter came up and offered me a, a lolly. I took a bite out of that lolly and promptly uh, dropped a filling out of a tooth as we're getting on the plane. 
So it, it was quite painful going across to um, to our destination in Ushuaia. No, no not Ushuaia, sorry, Shirley. Um, Santiago. S- um, Santiago. And we we get to, to there and we had to find a, a, a dentist. So we eventually found this um, little dentist who was a lovely, beautiful young, sorry, sure, um, <laughs> Ch- Chilean girl. <laughs> And uh, she took me in there and um, uh, she did all the dental work for me and she's very gentle, probably too gentle and her hands weren't probably strong enough. But at the end of it, she gave, planted a kiss on my mouth afterwards mm. and wished me well on my journey. I thought, mm, that's pretty good. Yeah, it was really good. The filling fell out about a week later and we had to find another dentist. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That is true. <laughs> Brian's story but, centers around that. The fact of the matter is it, it was a total failure. <laughs> but she well, was really pretty. Well, the thing was her, she wasn't strong enough to push the filling in. That's why it fell out. So, um, yeah, that's that's my dental story. I don't think I've had any others, Sherry, right. apart from that. The, the, um, the second time I had it done was by a, a rather large gentleman who didn't kiss me. But uh, did a good job on the filling. Did no, you and our dentist in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> our dentist in Australia became very nervous when I told him the story. He was wondering if Brian was going to expect him to kiss me. <laughs> 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 but again, um, no issues. Um, we had no problem language-wise and all the rest of it. And um, yeah, that was. I think the thing with the dental emergency, as long as you can find someone in your hotel or at a nearby store or something that has good language skills, you'll find emergency dental treatment. It just might not be as good as you'll get at home, like the, the lady who kisses but doesn't do good dental work. And um, she may not have been a dentist because we didn't think about that. Oh, yeah, well, that's a good point, too. <laughs> and the other thing you've got to think of if you if you plan on having a dental emergency is make sure you've got some Awfully good travel insurance because a dental emergency outside of your home country could cost you a lot of money. Yep. Anyone else? Yeah, anyone well, have, uh, have a dental emergency? Yeah, I did. Um, does that surprise you? Seems no. Emergencies no. seem to follow me around. Especially when it comes to medical. <laughs> well, I mean, this one, um, I this, this was just after I'd recovered from dengue fever in Thailand and I was pretty wimpish situation. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, whose next book is all about uh, t- touring the hospitals of the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'd like to give you a bit of a, an intro warm-up to set the scene, you know? <laughs> um, so anyway, I'm feeling pretty weak after this thing. And I suddenly start getting a huge amount of pain in one of my molars. And I'm thinking, blimey, how I, I can't get... Um, to find a dentist. I can't even hardly think straight, let alone go out and hunt for a good one. Um, so I, I had a, a little word with the prostitute who was taking care of me. And um, she said, my friend, um, he, he knows of a good dentist. I'll find out. So about an hour later, she came back to me and she said, yeah, yeah, my friend says that um, he'll be very good at, um, he knows a good dentist. Um, and I have another friend that will take you on the back of her motorcycle. Right, okay. Can I hang on the back of a motorcycle the way I'm feeling? Yes, I can. This hurts too much. So I, I go, and it's a little 125cc scooter type thing. Um, a drop dead gorgeous five foot nine girl in a very short mini skirt is standing there with a very pretty face, 
wanting to give me a ride to the dentist. So am I going to say no? No, I am not. So I climb on the back of this thing and off we go. And I'm hanging on for dear life round her waist. And we get to the dentist and this guy's surgery is absolutely immaculate. He does um, uh, a, a root canal filling for me. Um, I had no pain whatsoever. Um, put in a, a gold filling on top of this thing for me, which I was proud of for years. And eventually when I got back to the UK and I told my dentist in the UK um, about this, he just said, yeah, your dentist there knew an absolutely brilliant job. But the kicker to this story is on the journey on the way back, I realized that this drop-dead gorgeous girl that I'd been hugging had an Adam's apple. <laughs> so what you're saying is, Sam, if I can summarize, is you find a person that's reputable, like the hooker that was helping you out, and you ask her for advice from one of her friends, and you go with that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I, I was... The, they they did take me to a very good dentist and in this instance it was um, really good dental care and it was amazingly cheap I didn't even bother to claim on my travel insurance for this I think it was about 20 pounds um, wow. which was just stupid money um, but it depends on the country that you're in and as Shirley said you know some countries you want to make darn sure your your travel insurance covers you well and truly for for dental care um, I mean, people used to get um, dental care done in um, um, the Eastern Bloc countries, and you would end up walking out with a, a piece of um, nuclear iron stuffed in your mouth or something like that, I reckon. Because <laughs> the dental work in, um, in Thailand is meant to be very good, and there's a lot of people from Australia who actually go for holidays and uh, get their dental work done because it's getting so expensive here. They go to Thailand and other places. Yeah, North mm. America as well. They're going to Mexico and to Thailand. It's sort of like dental tourism they have now. There's websites that help you sort out which dentist you want to, you can go to and, and how much money you're going to save or how much it's going to cost you. My mother and I had a very serious... My mother and I had a very serious conversation a few years back. You know, she's 84 years old and her teeth aren't so good anymore. And we were seriously debating going to, um, you know, taking a, a four-week holiday in India so that she could get her teeth sorted out in India. Um, the whole trip was going to, including the sorting out of all her teeth, was going to cost about £8,000. And that was including flights and accommodation and dental care. And the more I looked into it, the more I realised that the dentists that we were looking at linking up with, they'd had their training in the UK and the USA. Mm. I had a friend who was who was considering the same thing. He had to uh, get some major dental work done just recently. And uh, he was considering going to Thailand to get it done just because of tremendous savings. Um, for, from from getting it done in Canada. But I know it's off topic, Sam, but I'm curious, how long did you date the girl with the Adam's apple? <laughs> <laughs> Once I noticed the Adam's apple, I think it was about 10 minutes more. That was oh, the rest of the journey. Oh, pretty easy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Is Graham still away? Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Here with me perfect smile. I haven't had any dental work. I've got nothing to add to this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you've never had any wow. dental work? Not abroad. Oh, I see. That was a good planning, Graham. <laughs> that was luck. <laughs> it is always good good luck more than good management. I mean, if you're going to have a dental emergency, you can't plan where that's going to happen. Yeah, I've been lucky. I've only had a, I broke a piece of a filling off once in Mexico, but I was flying back tomorrow or the next day. It was no big deal. That's all I've ever had. I've never had any issues. But certainly medical in other countries. I was just in Panama, and I had an ear infection, went into a doctor, and 
$9 for an inspection, check it out in the prescription. $9. I mean, wow. really? So cheap yeah. is ridiculous. Mm. Yeah, can I, I'm just wanting, you know what, before people are, are planning to hit the road big time, um, you know, most people, if their teeth are feeling fine, they don't even think about um, any pre um, preventive uh, attention. And I just suggest to people who are telling me, look, I'm going to hit the road, I'm going away for a couple of years, um, go to your dentist a couple of months before you're going to go um, traveling and get them to give your teeth a really good thorough going over. And if there are any elements of doubt there, get it dealt with. And I'm saying a yeah. couple of months before because then um, if something goes wrong or, you know, you get that niggly little pain that's, that, that goes on for weeks afterwards and you can't get rid of it, you've still got time to get that sorted out. Um, before you hit the road. Uh, a friend of mine um, went and did exactly this and somehow um, a little bubble of air was trapped inside the tooth. And this gave him just that slight nagging, irritating pain. And boy, was he lucky that he went to get that checked out because that air bubble, um, it, when he flew, would have been absolute agony with the changes in air pressure. But mm -hmm. anyway, um, the point is to go a couple of months before, get yourself a really good dental um, check over, and then, well, you know, it's like working on your bike in advance, isn't it? Yep. Preparation, preparation, preparation. That's very sure. good advice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's good advice, Sam, because everyone thinks about getting the bike sorted before you go, and you do think about getting the vaccinations that you need for some of the more exotic locations you're going to visit. But a lot of people don't think about going and having the, the big checkups and everything. Have you guys mm -hmm. had travel insurance that covers um, dental? Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. I never have. Where do you get it? <laughs> it sounds like a good deal. Oh, uh, uh, Just say medical insurance, yeah, wasn't well, it? Yeah, well, Nomad covered it. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe it's on there and I don't even know it. Graham, Greg, check it out, Grant. Greg Turp, um, his, his question was, what's your most embarrassing motorbike travel story? I think Sam's just told his, <laughs> clutching on to a, a, clutching a lady boy all the way through. <laughs> Somehow I doubt that's his most embarrassing story, but we're going <laughs> to get to that. <laughs> but, but I, but I want to get Graham in here first. Well, the thing is, I've been thinking about this, and I have embarrassing moments frequently. I mean, just frequently, in every aspect of my life, I don't have to be on the road. And so I think I've got this sort of subconscious embarrassment moment file. And when that moment happens, it goes in that file, and it ultimately goes into delete. So I find it very hard to recall embarrassing moments because I would just die cringing if I was aware of them all or remember them all. They happen all the time. However, I delve deep and I've got a couple and this might not necessarily be what you're looking for. There was an instance in a Mexican um, convenience store, the equivalent of a 7-Eleven, where I went in a wild camp. I went in the morning to get a coffee and I went to the wrong coffee machine. I went to the coffee machine that the staff use to fill up the big jugs, which then the customers use. And I put my cup underneath that and it filled it up. <laughs> and I had to grab another cup and it filled that up. And, a third, and then I ran out of it. It's all over the counter. That was a bit embarrassing. That's a good one. There was, there was another one where um, I, before, before I was a writer, I did this creative writing course, which shattered all my confidence to the point where I couldn't even write a text. But um, on this creative writing course, when it ended, 
this is before Facebook or anything, we had a group uh, email and we would, if we wrote anything, we would send it to the group and we would criticise or, or suggest uh, things that people had written. Now, I was in Sri Lanka. I was cycling around Sri Lanka after I'd left this creative writing group. And my girlfriend was going to be coming out and meeting me in about six weeks. And it was at the time of internet cafes. And I'd gone into an internet cafe and I started to write. Uh, I, I opened an email from my girlfriend, started to reply to it, ended up being quite a long reply, but it was nothing sort of romantic or sexy. It was just matter of fact, I've cycled here, I've done this. And as I was writing, I thought, well, shit, I can send this to the whole group, you know, that will save me staying in the internet cafe for another 20 minutes and it could just one email or do all. So having done that, I then as added the creative writing group to the email I was writing my girlfriend and sent it all off. And then realised if they scrolled down, there was all the other things that we'd written about. (laughs) 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 Which perhaps weren't so matter-of-fact. It might have been very matter-of-fact. They might have been very creative. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) Yeah, that still makes me cringe. That's a shame that one got out of the file. But the... The, the, the single most embarrassing thing, and this is probably not what he was thinking about, and I just reread this to get the story right. I was in Mongolia, and I was travelling with this uh, Swiss guy who I'd met, who was a really nice guy, and we were on similar money budgets, we were on similar bikes, we had similar uh, accommodation tastes and wanting to camp, yet we were on very different time budgets. And he was hell-bent on getting to Vladivostok, getting to Vancouver, doing South America and everything else. And all I wanted to do was get to Ulan Batar. That was my target, and I was getting pretty close. So, cut long story short, he was riding much harder and much faster than I would have wanted to. And consequently, my little knackered KLR650 was getting beaten up. The top box kept falling off. It was broken. The tyres were falling off. I was forever strapping on luggage. And I was frustrated. My bike needed time and attention. I needed time and attention. I didn't want to pass all these sites that were in my guidebook. I just wanted to slow the pace. I picked a person who was a wrong travel companion purely because... They wanted to travel at a different speed for me. However, what had happened at one point was, once again, my top box, which had sheared all its bolts, had come loose, and I had to try and fix it with ratchet straps and the tyres that were on top of it. As I chose to do this in the middle of the Mongolian steppe, this uh, Mongolian nomadic horse rider came out of nowhere to to view, and, and I had an audience. I don't do anything well when I've got an audience, particularly when I'm very frustrated and pissed off. Oh, also, my bike wasn't, wouldn't start either. I'd got an electrical problem. So I am trying to get a wire from the live of the battery that I can touch on the solenoid that I can use to start my bike when the when the start button refuses to do anything. So I'm trying to do this on the side of the road, a dirty road. And then a tour, little tour bus, little mini bus with about eight tourists in also decides to stop. And they're all taking photos of me. I am not in a good mood. I am fed up with my travel companion. I'm filthy dirty. I'm being stressed beyond and pushed beyond the limit I want to do I've got all these people looking at me and I just want to go and see what's in my guidebook and not be hell bent on a destination that I'm going to reach anyway and would happily reach there five days from now anyway this uh, nomadic uh, Mongolian horse rider his, his horse was really skitty and every time I got up from my crouch position to move to another part of the bike the horse would rear up and the guy would do everything in his power 
to, to try and control the horse. Now, two weeks prior to that, when I'd entered Mongolia, I was elated. I couldn't believe that I'd made it to this place on my little bike. And the first guy who had trotted up off the step to come and view me, I was just in awe of this guy who was from a completely different world, the way he looked, the story in his eyes, the color of his skin, the, the clothes he was wearing. I was just in awe and respect of this guy. Two weeks later, I've turned into a little brat backpacker who's pissed off and moody and all concerned with my bike and my own thing and anyway having got this wire from my battery to my solenoid i touched it on the solenoid and it worked the bike fired up and the horse went ape shit ran off across the step and this little mongolian man went running after it and i was so afterwards embarrassed about my behavior i was that petulant little backpacker who needs a slap and a ticket home i am looking back I did everything wrong, and and I, and and because of the situation I got in, I wasn't appreciative of the scenery, of the natives, of what I was doing, or anything. And when I look back at that, that is my most embarrassing moment, my behaviour in that situation. Yeah, we all get pissed that's, off at times. But that's a salutary tale that don't travel with people that you're not getting on with, or that aren't doing, aren't riding the speed that you want to go, they're not stopping at the places you want to stop at. It's got to be your your journey, your adventure, not someone else's. Well, the dilemma was, Shell, I, I dropped my bike regularly. I mean, it was a daily experience. And I, <laughs> there were times when you drop it and you just couldn't pick up by yourself. Prior to that emergency fix, it would keep on not starting. I needed him to bumper stay. So although I wanted to go it alone, it was the terrain and the riding conditions were beyond my ability. I couldn't pick up the bike every time I dropped it. I couldn't start every time it wouldn't start. So I'm just in this conundrum. I would just dump him and say, go on ahead of me. But then I was so vulnerable because I needed him to help me bump start it and I needed him to help me lift it. So it was it was a real, it, it wasn't that easy of a decision. No, no. Mm. Yeah. Surely since you spoke up, what's yours? Oh, I think I've actually told you mine once before, and it, it, it's something that happened while we were on a motorcycle trip but didn't actually relate to being on a motorcycle trip, and it was um, at it a the handy story? Bank. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it so that was, that was, oh, gosh. It's just the most embarrassing thing to ever happen when I went to get money out of an ATM in India and um, I got the money out and it wouldn't give me my card back. And after I'd been missing for a while, Brian turned up and I'm in a terrible state because the machine's stolen my card and we're never going to be able to continue travelling. And he had a phone, so we rang the emergency number on the ATM and I'm saying to this guy, I'm a visitor in your country and your machine's stolen my card. I was just such a bitch. And and um, he got out of bed. It was very early in the morning. He got out of bed and came over and looked at the ATM and he said, Madam, have you checked your wallet. I went, no, I, it, the machine did not give me my card back. Said he opened the machine. He said, there is no card in the machine. Have you checked your wallet? I tell you the card, the machine did not give me my card back. He said, madam, the machine doesn't actually take the card. You put it in and then you take it out. And I opened my wallet and in my wallet was the card. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> How do you recover so from that? that? Well, I just apologised profusely and ran away. <laughs> Left him bolting up his machine. <laughs> just, I was so embarrassed. That was yeah. just such a dickhead moment. I couldn't believe that I'd done it, but, you know. 
what can I say? Everyone, everyone has those days and uh, yeah, mine. Yeah. Yeah. Shirley, everybody who's listened to that story is going to remember next time they think they've lost their card in a machine yeah. to check their wallets. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Done good with yes, that story. Yes, good advice. Good advice. <laughs> yeah. Today's my first day back in in Bulgaria, and I had to go at the ATM get some money out. And even then, I recalled that story in my head, not knowing you were going to tell it tonight. <laughs> so yeah, it stays with me. Yeah. Oh, gosh, of all the stories of all our trips and the one everyone remembers is oh, my bloody I think, a lot of us can, <laughs> I think a lot of us can relate to that story in in some way. Maybe not for the card, but in another way. You know, where you've done something like that, where you've acted like that, even like even Grant story is sort of similar, you know, where you act all, all, you know, uh, self-righteous and, and then you realize afterwards, wow, that was stupid. Yeah. yeah. yeah I've, got, I've got two, one that is very similar to uh, Shirley's and I think it was entering Botswana, if I remember rightly. And I'd had the experience, the all day experience to get into Egypt and the four days to get out of Egypt, which was an absolute nightmare, another whole story. Uh, but I was okay with that. I managed to stay with it. But Entering into Botswana, I don't know what hit me, but I was I was hot and I was tired and I was grumpy and I was remembering Egypt and went through all this paperwork and sorted everything out. And, oh, yeah, yeah. and then I get to the gate and they said, okay, we need a piece of paper that you'd been given that has to be stamped. And I said, they didn't give me a piece of paper. And they said, well, <laughs> they have to give you a piece of paper. Well, I don't have the piece of paper. I looked through the papers I had. What, you know, the usual handful of papers as you're leaving. It's not here. It's not here. It's not here. I don't have it. You didn't give it to me. Ah, and, I, and I lost it. I mean, I got really pissed. And eventually they said, OK, OK, don't, just just go. Just go. You know, they're trying to get rid of this irrational foreigner who's driving them crazy. And then that night, of course, as I cleaning things up and sorting things out, I pull up my wallet and there's a the piece of paper. Oops. Oh. Oops. Oops. Yeah, you feel like a complete dick. It is sort of good that. for the ego, though, isn't it? When you have those moments, it's sort of, I don't know, it, it, for good me, for it, it grounds me. Well, I find it very deflating. <laughs> well, well, yeah, and I think that's it, isn't it? I mean, you, you sort of realize it. Okay. It you, takes you to the bottom. Yeah, yes. you know, it's like, okay, I, I need to take a step back next time. Yeah. And Susan and I were talking about this briefly this morning. Um, and she had said that her most embarrassing moment, as it were, was when we were heading into Libya, crossing through North Africa, her preconceptions about Libya and the people and what was going to happen there. Um, she was convinced by all the media news that it was a terrorist hotbed and we were going to get, going to get kidnapped and who knows what. And it was going to be terrible and the people were going to be horrible. And oh, This is going to be the worst experience ever. It's going to be a nightmare, but we've got to get across, so we got to do it. And... The people were the nicest, sweetest, friendliest people you can imagine. Nothing went wrong. Everything was fantastic. Um, the people were super good everywhere. Um, I mean, it was to the point where they had no tourist infrastructure when we were there at all. There was nothing. And they hardly ever saw any tourists. So everywhere we went, people would immediately, welcome to Libya. Hi. You know, um, people would step in front of the camera as you were taking a picture of something so that they could join you and, and connect with you. It was just amazing. So her preconceptions about what the media taught her and told her about Libya was so far wrong. It couldn't have been more wrong. Such a good yeah. lesson for all of us. What makes her feel foolish is that she bought it, right? Yeah, she, that was the, the really embarrassing part was that she bought it and she went with it and she was all nervous and worried about it. Yes, absolutely. 
I think even the most experienced travellers fall, fall prey to this, you know. You get bombarded by doom, gloom and disaster about places enough and it's, it's insidious. It eats away. It starts to collect mm. inside and it's, even if you're trying really hard not to think about it and you're not that kind of negative person, um, it, it, yeah, it can take over. Um, yep. I had a lot of negative thoughts about coming into the USA. I mean, it's the USA. It's drop-dead gorgeous. People here are fantastic. But I had a lot of negative thoughts because that's what I had been fed by the media. Thankfully, yep. um, the people of this country blew all of those out of the water. Yeah, we find the same thing so often. Iran is another one. Everybody's terrified yeah, of Iran. It's, it's the classic. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. So, yeah, we, we really – I think we hear – something enough there's a certain part of us that says well if that many people say so it must be so but not necessarily but we should also um realize that a people are not their government absolutely yeah. that's the number one right? thing and i heard that yeah. from people in various countries yeah and i remember there was some country in africa i was in and the people were really good and we were talking to this guy and he's he said yes we understand that your government isn't you that the people are not the government. It, it's a separate thing. And he, he was so right. It's just uh, we mm -hmm. have to really remember to separate people. People are the same everywhere. I mean, we all want a good life. We want to have nice, good children. Or we want our children to grow up with a good education. Um, we want to have a comfortable retirement, et cetera. We're all the same. There really aren't any large amounts of horrible people. There's always a few. There's always a few, but... Um, there are most people are pretty much the same as us. There's not a lot of difference. Yeah, yeah too right. Sam, what's your story? Uh -huh. Which one do you want? I was smiling when Graham was saying, "Yeah, well, you know, it happened to me all the time, and I try not to remember them." And <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, "Oh yeah, me too." I'd say dig deep. Um, yeah. Well, I didn't have to. I sat and wrote a, a piece of paper, um, and I've sort of filled three pages of full scat with idiot moments. <laughs> Graham, can I borrow that part of your brain, please? I think, think it's probably useful. It's a very useful file to have. <laughs> yeah, too right. Um, I mean, I've got a series. There, there, there was one. You know, you you hear, um, you see it across the newspaper. Idiot tourist does this, that, or the other. Birgit and I were um, out hiking one day when we were traveling and um, we'd got ourselves a guidebook to um, local hikes. And uh, we were on an island and we thought, yeah, that looks really good. Degree of difficulty, um, difficult, um, but that wasn't classed as extremely difficult. So we thought, yeah, okay, we're really fit. We've got decent boots. We've got our head screwed on, hats, water, etc., etc. And we bought ourselves a map and off we went. And we were having great. And about three hours into this hike, the path started to climb the cliffs. And the path was well defined, so we weren't worried about this. And there were various other paths heading off, but they looked like goat tracks. So we carried on following the main path, which was going exactly where we expected it to go. And then all of a sudden, the path turns into a goat track too, but it's still heading in the direction that we want it to. So we carry on climbing up the cliffs and this track's getting thinner and thinner. And then Birgit and I stopped and we looked at each other and we thought, yep, we are those tourist headlines. English tourists mm. rescued from cliff face <laughs> by helicopter. <laughs> So, I mean, that was one of them. We just we just had to laugh at how stupid we'd been. We should have turned back when it started getting more difficult. As it happened, we were on the right track. But anyway, so, um, you know, that sort of stuff, it just, it just kind of happens. 
Um, I lost my temper with a shipping agent in South Africa. I don't remember the last time I hit somebody, but I nearly hit this guy. Um, he had made us so many promises and with complete assured uh, nature and um, just absolutely convinced us that all of the things that he was promising us um, were going to come true. And um, the ultimate um, prize was going to be on a ship that was going to sail down the coast of South Africa. And we'd ridden up and down through South Africa several times by this time, but Birgit had never been on um, a merchant ship. And I'd travelled from Africa to Australia on a merchant ship and had had such a ball doing it, a fantastic experience. I wanted her to be able to have that experience too. And we already knew that we weren't going to be able to get on a ship to go from South Africa to South America, which was the plan. So going down the coast of South Africa was going to be a really nice, you know, sort of compensation prize. Anyway, so we did, we followed our instructions. We went down to the dock. We rolled the bikes onto the ship. Um, it was a car carrier. Um, spoke to the first mate who looked decidedly confused, but he was busy. He gave us to a crew member and the crew member took us up to a cabin and we sat and waited and nothing happened. Ship's engines rumbling um, and nobody came as we'd been told they would do. And the captain walked past and I thought, well, you know, good manners. I'll just um, go and say thank you very much. So he was much faster than I was, but I saw him disappear into an office, which was Mark Captain. So I knocked on the door and he called, yes, I went inside and I said, um, yeah, we're really grateful. We think it's absolutely fabulous of you to give us opportunity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he looked up at us and said, who the hell are you? <laughs> oh, no. I couldn't believe it. The total embarrassment at that moment. And I went back to the cabin and I told Birgit what had, what had just happened and she was absolutely horrified. So we, we gathered our stuff together again. We rushed back down to the to the, the deck where they were loading the, ship, um, the cars on. And there was still space for us to get our bikes out. So we strapped everything on hurriedly with the crew looking very confused. Um, and just as we turned the bikes around and were about to ride back off the boat, the shipping agent turned up. And um, I explained to him over the noise of the engine what had gone on. And um, he called me a fool. And at that moment, I was so embarrassed and so angry about this situation, I nearly thumped the guy. And that, I think, is still the most embarrassing moment of the whole trip. But thankfully, I didn't actually punch him. Um, other than that, you know, I've done plenty of things like wheeling my bike backwards and stepping on a banana skin and ending up on the deck. And that's an embarrassing <laughs> moment, too. Well, hang on. Back to the ship thing. Was it the right ship? Yeah, it was the right ship. <laughs> Everything was... The, the shipping agent was a rogue. He was calling in all sorts of favours, made all sorts of promises that he actually hadn't arranged. So the first officer didn't know that we were coming. The captain didn't know that we were coming. It turned out, we found out later through another source, that the only person that knew that we were going to be on this ship was the ship's cook. <laughs> well, you got to have somebody on the inside. Right. And it turned out that he wasn't actually a shipping agent. He was the ship's purser. So, you know, he'd even given us the title wrong. Well, of course he knew the cook. He was supplying all the fruit and vegetables and everything for the cook. But anyway, it was, yeah, I'm still embarrassed about it now. Fancy nearly losing my temper and fancy putting ourselves in that situation. But, hey, sometimes Sam, it, it happens, It's interesting. It? Russell Hollander wrote a question that I didn't give you guys. 
He says, are we ever going to hear Birgit's side of Sam's story, or does Birgit even <laughs> exist? <laughs> that's a that's, really good question. Yeah. Isn't it, though? That, that's, uh, that's really funny, because I actually had an email from Birgit um, a couple of days ago saying... Sure um, you did. I, I, I hope you're not telling... <laughs> All right, so I wrote it to myself. Um <laughs> Um, she said, I hope you're not telling people too many nice things about me. Otherwise, I'm going to be too embarrassed to, to come over to the States on another trip because you'll be telling them that I'm wonderful and I'm not. And she said, perhaps I'll just remain in other people's eyes as a figment of your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly, there's people thinking the same thing. <laughs> because, I mean, I've given ample opportunity, I think, to, to hear Birgit on the show, but... She's, we just haven't managed to get her on, Sam. That's that's odd. Yeah. She's she's very shy and very private. You know, mostly I have to ask her permission before I can even put a photograph of her on Facebook or Twitter and that sort of stuff. It's just, you know, she's just the quiet one of the relationship, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Moving on rapidly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting. That's an just interesting... Just keep digging yeah. that hole. You'll dig yourself a really deep hole soon, Sam. Yeah, quite. I'm gonna have to go back. Moment, couldn't it? <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and check those photos you're posting of Burger and just make sure they are all the same person. <laughs> <laughs> we actually had a friend who used to talk about his wife, but she never appeared at any function or any any gathering. But we always heard her voice on the answering machine, and I just wondered whether he'd actually just paid someone to put the voice on his answering <laughs> machine, and he didn't actually have a wife. But after several years, we did meet her and she did exist and she was lovely. So I don't know why he kept her hidden. Well, just don't ask Birgit what was my most embarrassing moment because I have no idea which one she'll pick and it's inevitably going to be really bad. I certainly oh, we'll, will we'll if see, we get her on we'll the show. We'll see her next year, won't we, Shirley? We'll be over there. We'll see her next year. We'll have to ask her that question. We will. Sam <laughs> <laughs> like may not share. I'll share. <laughs> Brian, what's your most embarrassing story? Oh, well, I've got Shirley. What else do I need? <laughs> I think that's two, two elbows in the side today that I'm keeping track of. Oh, no. I'm oh, in trouble. Just, oh, that <laughs> is, that's rendered me speechless. <laughs> oh, that'll be the day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just said that. <laughs> no, look, uh, gee, I've, I've racked my brains over this, and I, I I'm like, you, oh, here we go. Oh, yeah, oh, here we go. Off you go, go, sure. <laughs> oh, okay. Dropping your bike in the sand, and and actually, yeah, when yeah, Graham yeah. was saying he needed to travel with Speedy Gonzalez because Speedy Gonzalez could help him pick up his bike. When we were in the yes, Pamir region, all right, all right. we're very grateful to Big Tall Chris from the UK who helped the old folk pick up their very heavy 1200 on more than one occasion when we came to grief in the sand and on the rocks. And, yeah. and I think when we said we're going to go back and head back to Dushanbe the other way, he was quietly relieved because he was probably scared he was going to do his back in helping us pick up the bike. See, I told you I don't have to embarrass myself. I've got my wife to do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't tell that story. <laughs> no, I think, oh, I think okay. Brian has a very well used file, just like Graham has, that that gets dumped very quickly. Oh, that's oh. so true. I, I, I was flashing through my mind about uh, um, a little wooden bridge in the middle of Nepal and uh, coming up onto that and uh, pirouetting sideways and spitting the bike out. 
and this little um, Nepalese bloke standing there looking at me, and I said, well, come on, help me pick the bike up, <laughs> which he did. You were very lucky that day the bike didn't pure oh, off yeah, the little yeah, bridge 20 into feet the little creek. That's true. The memories come flooding back, but are they embarrassing or are they character building? Oh, here we go. Mm. That's what it is. That's character a, building. Yeah, I like that. Character I like that. Building. Yeah, yeah. I, like I think that a lot. so. Well, but you didn't know, some, think it some... was character. No, hang on a minute. I didn't think it was character building when I booked the hotel in the town that was five or six hundred kilometres from the town we were meant to be going to. <laughs> that wasn't character building. Yes, it was. Uh, <laughs> it was a minor mistake. Well, minor mistake. Anyone can make a mistake like that. And, you know, I'm sitting here listening to all the laughter as we're talking about these topics. And at the time, they can sometimes be really, really embarrassing. But afterwards, they're just some of the best stories, aren't they? When we mm-hmm. stuff it up and we have the ability to laugh at ourselves. Yes. Yep. So that's true, Sam. So true. Yeah. So when you true. can't laugh at yourself, it's, it's really embarrassing. Yep. Lisa Thomas wrote, what's the luxury item or what you consider to be a luxury that you take with you? She says hers is Simon, by the way. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> <laughs> I got in first. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's interesting because it's, uh, she says what you consider to be a luxury item. See, a lot of people wouldn't consider a real book with pages in it that are made of paper as a luxury item. But if I can take um, and continually upgrade a novel while we're travelling, that to me is a luxury, to have a real book to read at the end of the day, not something on a on a um, e-reader. No? Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. That's my luxury. Mm-hmm. How about you, Brian? Uh, look, well, we've got an intercom system uh, between us and music is uh, one of the things that we can play through our GPS and Sometimes that's, uh, I suppose, some people class it as a luxury item, but it stops some chatter sometimes. Well, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, Jim, one day you should record what happens in our kitchen after we have spoken. On video, yes. (laughs) Oh, too right. Definite YouTube moment. (laughs) <laughs> you can hear it in your because voice you're right, I can, the, radio, I can, the broadcast about the Rick's is divorce <laughs> I can actually now hear your it, mouth Graham. open surely <laughs> yeah <laughs> we used to have um, we used to have an intercom system on the bike that he could control from the control on the handlebars and I'd be chatting and I would notice that I wasn't getting a reaction and he'd actually turned my microphone oh. off. <laughs> <laughs> Shot to the kidneys. Now Brian, oh, it's, Brian it's actually things. very impressive that you're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I wouldn't have dared. We're still married. <laughs> Graham, what's your luxury One of the item? other things which I, I felt was rather useful, which, which I classed as a luxury item, was a heated vest. Mm, yeah. Um, we... Yeah, in, and when we went up to Nordcap, and, and I'm sure it feels the cold more than what I do, but um, I've got to say, um, uh, even though your class is a luxury item, it's damn handy. Yeah, I would. I was that was my item was an electric vest, but actually, I think it's a necessity. So I don't really class it as a luxury. To me, it's and Susan, it's absolutely basic. That's the first thing on the list. Yep, electric vest, got it. Make sure it's going to work. Yeah. Graham, what's your luxury item? 
Um, well, really, just quality hair care products, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell someone who cares. Leave-in conditioner, smooth down, um, hot oil treatment, uh, and, and, and just all those things that, that stop you having helmet hair. So uh, there is way too much pannier space taken up with uh, red chem products. So I tried to get to sponsor me, but they didn't reply. <laughs> I, 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 boys, I think we should yeah. gang up on Sam. Um, you're follically challenged. Uh, uh, not as follically challenged <laughs> as you, love. <laughs> Jim. <laughs> Great. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> on a more time. serious note, on a more serious note, I've invested more and more in camping equipment because, and I might have said this before, when, I think when you, particularly when you're wild camping, you're not necessarily getting the best night's sleep because you're sort of concerned about, you know, what's going on outside. So I now have a really good tent, a really good mat, a good sleeping bag, and something soft to lay my head on. And that has just paid back over and over again. Because if, you, if you've had a good night's sleep and you're aware the next morning, not only a worst-case scenario, you're less likely to sort of have an accident, but you're just more appreciative of what's going on around you. So, uh, so apart from hair care products, I would say my luxury item is investing in good there is some good camping equipment out there. You don't have to be suckered into all the unnecessary stuff, but I would say tent, sleeping mat, and sleeping bag are three things that really pay you back time and time again. So that would be my luxury items. I totally agree, Graham. If you eat well and you sleep well, then you travel with a smile. It's it's simple rule, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Sleep is absolutely critical. That's something I used to run have all kinds of trouble with. I've never slept well. But a really good air mattress with insulation inside it so it's warm, comfy sleeping bag. Yep, that's critical. Grant, what's your luxury item that you and Susan take? Well, I was going to say, as I said earlier, electric vest, but it's actually a necessity. So um, when we traveled on the world around the world, we didn't have electronic, uh, uh, we call it Kindles, et cetera. So we literally carried about six pocketbooks each just because we had to have something to read. That's, that was our luxury that was a kind of a required thing. Uh, the rest of it, we was two up, and Shirley and Brian will understand exactly what I'm saying, with two up, there's no room for luxuries. You take what you need, period. That's it. Yeah, well, yeah, Pocketbooks were, were our luxury. Like I said, electric vest, yep, that's a necessity. Intercom, yep, that's a necessity. It's not a luxury, it's a necessity. Um, but... I, uh, for those of you who've seen uh, the Gear Up DVD, which is now available on Vimeo, of course, um, we have p- all kinds of people telling, coming up with all kinds of things that just blow me away. Things like a telescope for bird watching. I mean, a serious, real, large telescope. Uh, <laughs> okay. I guess if you're assuming into- everything has a second use to make it justifiable to carry, what's the second use of a telescope? Magnifying glass, checking for ticks. <laughs> Right. Um, here's another one. Stiletto heels for dancing. Shirley does that. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's Graham. <laughs> I can't dance. Not in heels. <laughs> but by the sound of that, you've tried. That's just what I was thinking, Shirley. <laughs> it was a fancy dress party in my defence. Yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh-huh. What a man does in the privacy of his own home. <laughs> Don't want to know. Or yeah, tenters, as, as the case may be. I must admit, things that people think are luxury items, when um, other girls I meet on the road ask me what clothes I take and I say I've actually got a couple of skirts 
they think that's luxurious. I mean, well, I just don't want to live in bike pants and jeans. You know, mm-hmm. there's got to be times when you wear other things. It's like the equivalent of, of guys packing a pair of shorts as well as a pair of, of bike pants and a pair of jeans. But some people think some items of clothing are luxury. I think tyre pliers are a luxury because they live in the bottom of my pannier and take up way too much space. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Susan has made that comment that if, if it's tools for the bike, spare parts or anything like that, that Grant wants, it's a requirement. If it's anything I want, it's a luxury. Correct. And yeah. that has got to stop. <laughs> well, that, that attitude has just got to change. Sam, what's your luxury item? I was just thinking that um, that's probably one of the reasons that Birgit rides her own bike, and she can make her own decisions on things like that, because I have no say on what goes into her panniers, none at all. It's like Very a woman's handbag, Shane. I, n- never look. Never look inside. Definitely not. That's private territory. Um, but no, do you know, I, I, I think actually having a luxury item to travel with is, um, is a really important thing because, you know, sometimes travel can just be really hard and it's that luxury item that you've got with you that even when times are hard can add a bit of quality into your life. I met one guy who um, had a tiny little espresso maker with him and he would start his day and finish his day with a really nice cup of espresso. And he was one of the happiest guys that I, I ever met. Um, I met a French guy who was tra- traveling with a garlic press. Um, but, you know, that to me was complete luxury. Um, I met a girl um, this year who was traveling with um, a little um, electric um, pepper mill. And she said, one of the best things in my life is to have really good quality pepper on my food. I don't like stuff that you can get any other way. Now that I know what freshly ground pepper tastes like, she said, I can eat food that is completely uninteresting if I've got it flavored with good quality fresh ground pepper. But electric? I can see your point. Yeah, electric. She ran off the bike. No, but I mean, do you really need electric pepper mill? Couldn't you just crank it? Well, um, according to her, it wasn't the same. But anyway, it's a luxury item. Quantity, too. I mean, this thing was tiny. It was about the size of um, a large lipstick. That was all. Oh, wow. Well, I, I'm, yeah, I'm actually intrigued. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got a photograph of it somewhere. I'll see if I can find it. But, I mean, it, it just worked really, really well. <laughs> <laughs> Put your mind back away, Graham. <laughs> um, but, I mean, for me... I had a think about the equipment. I mean, I guess for me, it's a beard trimmer. Um, I like to keep my beard looking um, neat and tidy. And if I'm going much off-road, then just having a pair of scissors that are just for cutting my beard so I'm not hacking at it with semi-blunt, multi-purpose scissors, that's a real luxury for me. But if I've got a little bit more space, then, you know, a rechargeable beard trimmer is just brilliant. Birgit, however, would say that my luxury item is a frying pan. I do like a fry-up every now and then, and that additional pan makes all the difference to the, the cooking potential. So, But it doesn't always go because it is a bit on the luxurious side. Hmm. Well, that is some a interesting fry-up. luxury items. A fry-up and a beard trimmer. Mm. <laughs> I'm not allowed to take a hairdryer. Well, don't take a beard trimmer. power it. Power it. <laughs> no. And look at your, how your beard gets. God. <laughs> You two are funny tonight. <laughs> it's because we've had no sleep. <laughs> Four, neither of you, well. 
<laughs> so the moral of this story, Jim, is next show, you've got to phone them up every hour through the night so they, they're just, <laughs> just running again. <laughs> I already had to call Graham earlier and pretend I was just doing a test just to make sure that he was still awake. <laughs> yeah, but why would you be testing me half an hour before I'm about to leave? Like, I'm just, just putting on my jacket and the phone rings. Oh, it's a bit of a radio. Surely I haven't got the time wrong. <laughs> I'm kidding. That really was a test. <laughs> but our next question is, is actually sort of a, a culmination of three. We put three together. Um, Kimmy Kinnelin, I think I have that right, um, had a question. That she said, what are some of the most impressive destinations that uh, don't often uh, fall under the, the common overland routes? And um, Rachel Paul Sidecar Travels, that's the, the Facebook name, said, what are, each, um, what are each of the favorite places that you've visited in the world? And Michael Margus says, uh, out of all your rides, what are the places that sticks out as the most memorable? So I, I think the question that we came down to was, um, what are some of the most impressive spots you've visited or routes that you've discovered that are often overlooked by overlanders? I mean, we see a lot of routes that a lot of people take. Um, you know, a lot of the same pictures, you know, and, and you know, some of them, the, the pictures that you see over and over that people post, but what are some spectacular spots or routes that you guys have found that aren't popular? I think these days, um, everywhere is popular, really. Mm. It doesn't matter where you go, you'll turn, you'll turn a corner and there'll be a, a traveler heading the other way, or you'll hear that someone was there a couple of days before. One of my favourites, which I think a lot of people probably won't get to see now purely because of the political instability in the country, is the Karakoram Mountains in Pakistan. Absolutely spectacular scenery, brilliant riding. Some, some towns were just the most wonderful, friendly people, but I would think a lot of people just don't get there now. Oh, I, I remember we came around one corner there, surely, and there was this... Um glacier coming down and it was just a wow factor we just stopped and looked at it and um, yeah i agree with you that that's a pretty good absolutely brilliant north north vietnam Uh, some a lot of people are traveling in north vietnam now but i quite enjoyed that Um, um it could be cold but um the people the places um another one's goa staying on the beach in goa was just great what was that the beef noodle soup in North Vietnam, second to none. I've never had beef yeah, noodle soup right. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. North Vietnam's pretty special, I, I thought, because so many of the local people, the local tribes people, still wear the costumes that they've always worn. Yeah. And when you go right off the beaten track and into the tiny little villages, yeah, it's not just put on for tourists. This is oh, no. how they still live. The, the, uh, Hmong, the Hmong people in the hills, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Did an you know inter- that, interesting country to visit. It is. No, uh, without doubt. The, the Hmong people, um, they're the ones that wear the um, indigo-coloured clothes, aren't they? Um, yeah. The hand-woven indigos. Um, I read that um, this stuff is so badly um, set that um, when you take a Hmong's clothes off, um, they're purple underneath. <laughs> Well, just just uh, an well, just, the, 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 the just, just let that sink. I was just guys. thinking, you know, here's a man who had a lady by in the front. Now he's taking clothes off. <laughs> What's going on here? It's been one of those kind of chats, <laughs> hasn't it? Grant and his sleazy hotels. And- <laughs> I'm sweet and innocent. I really am, honestly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What do you have, Sam? And just what? Can I just add one more in? And it's not really a road. It's um, it's a town. And we've oh, yeah. only ever met one other person who's been there. And it's in France. And they, it's the village of the Martyrs. 
which is um, I, I hate to try and pronounce this because my French pronunciation is shocking, but Orador Suglan or something like that, and um, it's a town that was destroyed during the Second World War by the SS. They killed everyone who lived in the little mm-hmm. village. And um, when de Gaulle went there at the end of the war, he said, we will keep this as it is to remind us so we never forget the past. And it was, of all the towns we've visited, all the war memorials um, we've seen, um, including Gallipoli, where my great uncle is buried, this was the most moving place. And um, we very rarely meet people who've been there. The village of the martyrs in France, definite definite must. No one lives there? No, uh, the, no. The, the village, um, there was two people that survived, a little boy and one other, and um, they herded all the women into uh, the church and fired the church and the woman jumped out of uh, a, a, from the bell tower and broke her legs and crawled off into the, into the vegetation and she survived too, but everyone else was murdered there. And the, the town has been kept with even the old doctor's cars, a burnt-out car, in its place in the street. The tram lines are still in the street, uh, bicycles leaning up against um, broken-down walls, and it's just a very moving place. And we that, saw it in the morning yeah, dawn, didn't we? It was foggy. It was foggy. very emotional. But they, there is a village nearby, a town nearby, and yeah. you go into the museum and you go into a tunnel and you come up in the centre of the old village, and it really wow. is quite quite a place to visit. Hmm. Yeah. Shirley, you've just made the, the hair rise up on my arms. Um, I went there a long time ago and I had exactly the same sensation from it. And, yeah, you've literally just made the hair on my arms raise up. Um, I'm really yeah. pleased that you've been there, Sam, because we so rarely meet people who've ever yeah. been there and it, it is one of the most um, moving places I've ever visited. And, and that tunnel is, is, is part of what makes it work, isn't it? Because you go from the yes. real world and, and you're just suddenly back in time in this sort of bubble that stood still. And you can't ride past and see the town. You can't see it. No, I, don't, right. I don't quite know how they've done it, but they've redirected all the roads, so you don't, you never actually see the town other than when you're in the middle of it. Yeah. It's quite extraordinary. How about you, Sam? Um, I, I just like getting in um, the small villages and towns off the beaten track wherever I am. Um, just get off the main roads and, and go off and explore because there are so many just fantastic things um, tucked in and out between these villages. And I meet too many people who are staying on the main roads because they're in a hurry to get from A to B. And we're on motorcycles. So the freedom to just go off and meander and discover things that very few other people do see other than the locals is brilliant. Um, but a, a few things just leapt into my mind. Um, the Jade Sea in northern Kenya you spend hours riding across the desert in northern Kenya and you come across an inland sea which really is the colour of jade. It's quite beautiful. It's crocodile infested, so you don't want to go swimming in it. Um, I was with some friends and some of them did before we realised how crocodile infested it was. Um, were, they Austra- were they Australians, Sam? Um, actually, two of them were Israeli, but they could have been Australians, couldn't they? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> they could have been Australians, definitely. Straight, plunge straight in. Um I try and encourage people to not go inside um, the national parks, you know, the, the, the game reserves in Africa, but to spend some time outside the parks because quite often um, that's where you get the peace and quiet to see the wildlife without 
the the tourist minibuses, the zebra striped tourist mini tourist minibuses chasing around and getting in the way of photographs and the peace and quiet of watching the animals in their natural habitat. And most game reserves in Africa you can't take motorcycles into, um, but outside you can. And the animals they don't know the difference between the border, you know, the, the the edge of a game reserve or not. So very often you can get very close to animals and you haven't got a minibus with telephoto lenses peering down your neck. So that's kind of a fun thing to do. Um, the north coast of Zanzibar, I really liked too. There are still sections that are undeveloped and white sand, turquoise sea, uh, it's warm, palm trees, sandalwood trees, bush babies up in the trees. Um, you can go and camp underneath these trees still. Um, and when you're traveling the length of Africa, being able to do this is just such a, a good oasis for the mind. It's full on beauty. Um, one or two people I know, we did this, uh, leave their bikes parked up on a, a camping site or with one of the hotels over on the mainland and uh, just go over with a day pack and a tent and use local transport to get around. It's nice to be off the bike every now and then because, of course, you appreciate being back on the bike when you get back to it, but also because you're then sitting on the buses and local transport. And many, much of the local transport on Zanzibar um, is made by boat builders. So you might have an old truck bed, but the body that you're traveling in is actually the, the shape of a wooden hulled boat. They use the same technique. And Zanzibar is called the Spice Islands because over the, the various invaders and colonialists, the Indians and Arabs and Germans and everybody else, people have used the island to grow spices. And um, sometimes in the morning, uh, the smells as you're going past the plantations, absolutely gorgeous. So it's a really good place to, to get off the beaten track a little bit, leave your bike behind, go and clear your grey cells, um, just swim and enjoy the beauty. Um, I want a little to go bit more. There. Sorry? I want to go there. That sounds beautiful. It's, yep. it's, it is it's drop-dead gorgeous. Um, and we all need this when we're on a long journey, don't we? We oh, need somewhere absolutely. that we can be for a couple of weeks and just just chill and let the grey cells recover and just, you know, just and not, not be in a hurry. And not wear bike boots every day. Wear yep, thongs absolutely. and sandals <laughs> yeah. and, yeah. Stilettos. Oh, yeah, well, that'll be <laughs> <laughs> Well, some of us might like stilettos, Brian. Some of us don't. <laughs> I, I think my top tip to people were, um, for, for finding places that nobody else goes to, because Shirley was absolutely right. It's so easy to find out information about the sort of places where um, you had to hunt the information out in the past. Um, you know, just watching people on Facebook, for example, yeah, we're here and look at this photograph. It's absolutely amazing. Well, of course, you're going to want to add that to your, your travel route. Um, but... Follow the plan of asking the locals. Wherever you go, ask the locals, where's there somewhere interesting that I can go and see? And that's what I've been doing on this trip in the States. Um, I sat down to start planning and life got in the way and I didn't do much planning. And then it just occurred to me, actually, do you know, wherever I stay for a night, I'm going to ask the locals, what should I be seeing while I'm in this area? And I've seen some fantastic places that I had no idea existed. That's a very yeah, good tip. Yeah, local yep. knowledge. Local knowledge is the thing. That's mm. where those those um, local people become useful and interesting. Yep. Graham, what about you? Well, I gave this a bit of consideration. I, I, I'm, there's this thing which I call lonely planet syndrome, where you repeatedly see in the lonely planet 
Ten years ago, this place was untouched and consisted of nothing more than a few thatched huts and some local fishermen. Now it's besieged with tourists. Why is that? Because bloody Lonely Planet mentioned it. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, they are the biggest hypocrites when it comes to, well, this place was great, but now it's ruined because we printed it. So So, so what are you saying? You're you're sort of reluctant to to say anything? I'm reluctant to tell you about my lovely places. Mm. Because I don't want a bunch of adventure rider radio readers, listeners. Oh, with their boots on their mirrors. How refreshing out there you're talking about. Do you know what? Like, I I get where you're coming from because I had an experience many years ago where we had a place that was special to us. We shared it with some people on the condition they wouldn't reshare it, and it was quickly reshared. And, and it became what we considered to be overrun because there was basically nobody going to this spot. So, I mean, I totally get that. But, you know, if you if you have a place that you that you really want to be respected and taken care of, the only way you can do it, and, and it's really a double-edged sword, is to show other people. Now, I'm, I'm talking sort of more conservation with this, but I mean, and not necessarily a, a, maybe a place in the world, but if you're looking to conserve something, you're looking to preserve something, you almost have to, you have to build the fire for it. You have to, you have to get people enthused about the place. And that means bringing them there. Jim, that is okay, such then. a good point. Um, hang on a second, Graham. Um, Nicole Espinosa, um, Lorraine Chiswick and Tiffany Coates have been um, making a film in um, Uganda, Kenya. Um, and when this comes out, that's going to fit exactly with what you've just been describing. Now, I'm not telling anybody any more about it, but just watch the space for this film when it comes out and remember this programme and, and Jim's comment. Um, yep. Totally valuable point. I'm really looking forward to that film. It's going to be very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. But, Graham, I'm not going to let you away with this. <laughs> did, did, okay, then one word, Georgia. <laughs> The, okay. the country, not the state. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my Definitely uh, not heavily visited. That's for sure. What's, well, what's spectacular on every level. You've got you've got Black Sea coast. You've got mountainous region with two hundred glaciers. You've got um, super old buildings and architecture. You've got uh, middle ground grapevines. You've got a spectacular capital. You've got the best looking women I've ever seen on the planet. And it's got everything. So, and it's only the size of Ireland. So, Georgia, go to Georgia. Don't tell them I sent you. That's your favorite spot, <laughs> and we got it from you. <laughs> it's okay. Look, if you're listening to this, just keep that under your hat. Yeah. And um, whatever you do, don't wear a t-shirt saying Graham sent you. <laughs> yeah, don't wear, oh, oh, well, when it's plug time, I've, I've got something along those lines. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> don't wear a Graham t-shirt. <laughs> Grant, how about you? Well, I'm going to start off with uh, a couple of places that we found along the way that were amazing. Leftist Magna in Libya, which almost nobody has heard about, but it's, everybody goes to Rome for Roman ruins. Well, don't. Go to Libya. The Roman ruins in Libya are absolutely spectacular. Uh, Leptis Magna is, is a very old city. It was 600 or 700 BC, founded by the Phoenicians, I think it was. And eventually became a Roman city. And along about 800 or 1000 AD, I can't remember, it was abandoned and eventually covered over by sand and finally excavated in the 1950s by Italian archaeologists. So here you've got this absolutely spectacular city that's been completely preserved for a thousand years under the sand as opposed to Rome, which has been lived in for the last, however, who knows how long. Uh, So it's 
the, the quality, uh, the sharpness of the carvings, everything about it's absolutely amazing. And yet nobody's ever heard about it. Uh, when we went to visit it, yes. Um, Go ahead, Sam. I, I, I read somewhere that um, this, this town has the best preserved Roman public toilets in existence. Yes, and I have a photograph of them. <laughs> do you? Go on, yes, just, do. Describe, describe them, Grant, because um, you'll get a grown factor from people, won't you? Oh, it's hilarious. Uh, imagine, par think park benches, a ser uh, sort of kind of all connected together, a row of benches where everybody sits down and relaxes and does their business because there's holes there and there's a, um, a receptacle for water in front of you. And it's completely connected. There are no doors. There is nothing. You, everybody just sits and discusses their affairs of state or whatever and does their business and then moves on. It sounds like Lasterbury Festival. <laughs> <laughs> Which is on this weekend, isn't it? It right is. Right now, as, as we speak. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's – but the, the – I, I can't put it into words. It's absolutely amazing. I've never seen anything like it. So something and it's some place that very, very few people have ever been to. When we uh, – tour guide that we had to have in Libya in order to go through when we were there in 97 – said, we're going to go to Leptis Magna today. We, you know, so what's Leptis Magna? And he told us all about it. And we headed off figuring, okay, this is going to be cool. We're driving down the highway, and this is where Susan's paranoia came in about Libya. He just turned off into the desert, and she said to me over the intercom, oh, is this the, where they're going to get us? <laughs> <laughs> because there was no signs. There was nothing. He just literally turned left and into the desert, and off we went. We went over a dune, and he parked. Oh, dear. Uh, and there was one other car there, I think, but that was it. Just a car sitting there in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing to tell you you were at this amazing destination. And we got off and started talking. He said, well, where is it? Oh, it's just over the sand dune. So he walked over the sand dune, and there's this amazing Roman city. And it's huge. You know, thousands of people live there. There's a Colosseum and all kinds of stuff. It's put it on your bucket list. It's amazing. Uh, the other one that I that uh, I absolutely love, speaking as a photographer and somebody who loves desert, is Sausasvle in Namibia. Mm. It's how many of you guys have been there? Everybody? I have. No. We haven't. Oh, no. you got to see it. Yeah. Uh, that's a place that you want to spend several days at and make sure you're up at dawn and stay till after after uh, sunset. The the sand, the height of the dunes. These are the tallest sand dunes in the world. And they're constantly changing. The wind blows the sand dunes. They're constantly moving in from the ocean. Um, the, the way the, the light is deep, dark, dark red in the morning, and then it changes and lightens. And the same sand dune can look completely different from three hours before to now to three hours from now. The change is spectacular. As a photographer, I went, was just going crazy. I was picking and taking pictures everywhere. It was amazing. I loved it. Totally agree Every with you, Grant. Yeah, one, one of the things, sitting up on the top of the, the sand dunes in the dawn and watching the sun come up, um, I, I was just blown away by the fact that all of that, the sand dunes in that sea of sand dunes, every single one took on a different colour because the sun the rays were hitting each sand dune differently. It was just one of nature's complete spectaculars, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. Love it. Definitely recommended. Um, but to go from there... We have a major announcement, so I'm going to start off plugs right now. Speaking of, we've been talking about destinations for the last little bit, and we have just launched a new thing on our website called Destinations. And at the moment, we have hundreds. I think it's something like 600 or so and more. 
And we hope to have thousands very soon with a little input from our favorite listeners on Raw and all the usual suspects on the website. All the interesting places in the world that a traveler might want to visit, not just the standard tourist spots, but all the unusual ones, too, that, like places that we've been talking about. Um, there's even one in there that Graham, or sorry, yeah, that Graham would know about very near his place. <laughs> Come on, Graham, you know what it is. <laughs> What's I don't thing? know. What is it? Well, Motocamp. Oh, not the Motocamp. It's the other one. It's oh, Buzz Lucha? Yes, that's the one. Ah, uh, Buzz Lucha. It's, it's in there as well. And we've got literally every border crossing in the world that we can find. Currently, we're at 3,000 border crossings. Wow. And the cool part about all this is you can go to all these places. You can add all the interesting places that you want, and not just destinations you might want to go to, but services like uh, photocopy places at the border crossing. Where do you get your photocopies done? Um, hospitals, welding shops, repair shops. Uh, the cool wild camping spots and all the other places that we've been talking about, anything of interest to a traveler that has a location. So you mean to so say then, that this is, this is, you already have a bunch of information there and people can add yep. their own. Yes. Instantly, easily from anywhere. Uh, for those who aren't aware, our new website is very much in progress. We've been working on it solid for a year now and it's completely um, usable on your cell phone, tablet doesn't matter it's completely flexible works on all devices everywhere all the time uh, it resizes and menus adjust and all kinds of things so you don't need an app you don't need anything special it's just horizons unlimited just works everywhere and you can create your own my places or your personal travel bucket list if you will from all these destinations and then you can save it you can edit it it's it's in your account on hu and you can keep editing and tweaking as time goes on and you're planning your trips and when you're ready, save it as a GPX file for downloading to your GPS. Wow. How cool is that? Very nice. Yeah, this is a major thing that we think is going to make um, for motorcycle travelers and for the four-wheel drivers and bicyclists among us that do big trips. It's going to make it so much easier to both find all the cool places as well as to add it in and share it for everybody else. And not just the fuel, cool places, but events, you know, like festivals. And where do you want to buy food? Where's a good place in this town to get food? Where's the good restaurants? Uh, where's all the repair shops and places for your paperwork? All that kind of stuff in one place that's easy to find, easy to deal with, and it just works on your phone. I mean, you could be literally at Sauces Flay, take a picture, and if you can find a cell signal, send that picture and load it onto the website right now. And your own experience of it too, not just the the factual specific stuff about the location, but what did you think? What is your opinion on it too? So this is for all the countries in the world? Everywhere. I can do yep, it right every now. Country in the world. You can do it right now. It's live right now. Go Very to cool. new.horizonsunlimited.com slash destinations. Why do we have to go um, to new.horizons? Uh, because we are literally running two separate websites right now. They are interconnected, and you log in uh, on the regular website. You can log in on the new website. It doesn't matter. They're completely interconnected. But for, in order to make this move from the old site, which started way back in 1997 and has grown and morphed and changed and added systems, we're um, reducing the number of systems. We've gotten rid of one. We got three more to go to get down to just one system, and that's all on the new site. Uh, if you're on the old site, you'll see on the top menu has changed, 
in that usual blue bar, there's a new thing called destinations. There's also travel stories. It's new items on the menu, and that takes you to new dot. But if you want to go directly, new.horizonsunlimited.com slash destinations, and you'll see all the points of interest stuff. But eventually, you'll, you'll, the, the new dot, that'll be dropped. It'll just be horizonsunlimited.com. Yep. New dot will disappear. Right now, we have to have to have it. I think it's probably the biggest thing we've ever done. I love we the love idea of, of being able to upload stuff because I mean, I'm excited about it right now. I mean, I'm on Lake Superior. I'd love to take a shot here and, and post this. I mean, I'm sure Graham, he, he doesn't want to put up a picture of Georgia. But I mean. <laughs> no, he won't. <laughs> but Georgia is a country that is in there, and you can put in places in Georgia that you think are amazing. So I think that's going to be good. So everybody has talked about several places already uh, on this talk. And uh, please, guys, post them. Zanzibar, yes, what an amazing place. Post it up there, Sam, please. Okay, what it's going to take. So it's simple good. to think, do. You just go onto the website. Do you, have, do you log in? Is that what you have to do? Yes, you have to be logged in. Okay, so you, you have your thing. account, you log in, and then you just go to where you, where you want to add something in and you post a photo or upload some information. Whatever you want. Um, I'm just looking at the destinations page right now, and it's very simple. It's nothing fancy yet. Uh, accommodations, attractions, events, food, and services. Take your pick, and you can drill down from there. Add whatever you want, put in GPS coordinates or name, either one will work. And uh, if it's a place that exists in Google World Maps, um, then Google will find the GPS coordinates for it. Or if you've got coordinates, put those in and away you go. It's all there, it's all, it's all done on a map. You can start on the main page and you can, um, you'll see a map of the world with a whole bunch of dots and each dot is for a country. Click on the country, explore, the country will zoom out for you, and you'll see one the uh, points of interest that we already have in there, or you can just add a new one. Away you go. Wow, very nice. I have to look at I this because it. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, everybody needs to have a look at it. We would like to have everybody putting stuff in. In fact, we're going to have a little, little tiny contest to who can put in the most or something like that. We haven't quite decided what we're going to do, but we want to encourage everybody to put in all the cool places they know about because this is going to be a resource that's going to be huge for travelers to make out uh, the places that you want to see. Because I know when we were traveling, we had Lonely Planet, and, and it was kind of crappy, especially in those days. And But there's places that as vehicle-oriented travelers that we can get to that the backpackers can't begin to go to. So it's not even in Lonely Planet. And that's a good thing, mm. uh, as Sam was saying. Um, so we want to Try and have all these places that are special of interest to us. What are, and also the routes, the roads, the places that we want, might want a wild camp uh, that we can get to on our bikes. It's, it's going to make a really big difference, I think. And besides, crowdsourcing is amazing, isn't it? I mean, because you, you get information there you couldn't afford to pay someone to find. And also it becomes more current. Exactly. We've got, I think, 600 places in there now uh, that we went to the trouble of actually resort, researching ourselves fairly quickly. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there, Wikipedia links and all the rest of it. Uh, but you can also put in your experience of those places as well. So the, the main thing is that with a huge audience that we have at Horizons Unlimited and on Adventure Rider Radio, if all of those people put in one, we'd have a resource that was absolutely stunning. No! <laughs> Trust me, that sometimes. The following section has been removed because Cramfield crossed the line. Now back to it. It'd be something more English. That's very American. Yeah, I can't, just, I can't imagine. No, he's a damned rotter. 
<laughs> on, on to plugs before we go any farther down that rabbit hole. Um, what do you have, Sam? Actually, I have a big thank you. Um, I spent the last seven weeks traveling around um, California, Arizona, um, Utah, Idaho, um, Oregon, Montana, and Washington back into California. And I have been made phenomenally welcome everywhere that I've been. I've seen such stunning landscape and beautiful scenery, but yet again, it's the people that have made um, this trip such a special thing. Um, in part, it's been the people that I've met along the way. In part, it's people that I've met at presentations and book signings. Um, but, you know, the exclamation mark of all of this is um, the accident that I had last week um, and just really stupid, unlucky, unfortunate situation. But, you know, within an hour of me being in hospital, the first um, overlanding travel friend had turned up at the hospital to see if there was anything that they could do for me. Um, within three hours, I've been offered somewhere to stay. Um, somebody came to collect me. So this is Alan, the first chap, um, and the second chap is um, Flip Morton from Horizons Unlimited. And he, um, it's just been one phenomenal thing after. And the support that I've had from the adventure motorcycle overlanding world has been absolutely humbling. And I'm really grateful to everybody. I am just so happy to be part of this very special group of people. So thank you, everybody. Cheers. And Sam, just maybe you want to just give a, a quick rundown on what happened there. Uh, I was heading um, south into along the 101 in California, and I guess I was about 10 miles north of San Francisco, and the traffic had um, suddenly got very heavy, as it seems to be around cities in the USA now. Very, very heavy. Um, and I moved into a space and somebody else in a car had seen that space too and he didn't see me. So he moved into that space just after I'd got there. And so well and truly sideswiped, um, he shoved the handlebars, um, my, which of course my hand was still on, um, and pushed my the bones of my hand up my arm and various other things. But, you know, even though this was such an awful situation to happen, I was very lucky because I had all of the gear on. Um, I had, you know, proper bike trousers, proper bike jacket, both of which are a mess, um, a really good showy um, crash helmet. And without all of this stuff, I would have been in a right old state, um, but I wasn't. And um, I've come away from it lucky in my unluckiness, but actually it's turned into a, a silver lining experience just because of the support that I've had from everybody. Um, I'm, I'm humbled. I saw your picture on Facebook and, and of you laying in the hospital with your wrist that was that sort of looked like a bridge, uh, the way it was bent up. And the first thing that popped into my head when I saw that photo was, how do they get those sticky things to stick to all that hair on your chest? <laughs> now ask me how they take it all off. <laughs> yeah. I've been there. Uh, I, I, I know how they do that, Sam. Don't worry, mate. Um, yeah. more, more importantly... How's the bike and how's Randy with the bike that you trailed on him? Well, you know, this has been something that has been part of um, the special thing because Randy Perkins, um, we met um, fairly briefly about um, a year and a half ago and we kind of got on instantly. And Randy um, at a Horizons Unlimited event said to me, Sam, if you're ever coming to the UK, um, USA and you want to borrow a bike, let me know. And I don't borrow things easily. But with Randy, I felt very comfortable doing it, and he lent me an F800 GSA. 
And the, the, the most embarrassing thing, and this nearly was my most embarrassing story, um, was that when this guy hit me, he bounced the bike into another car, which then drove over part of it. And um, unfortunately, the bike is a complete write-off. And um, I've been very lucky in that um, I'm staying at the moment with um, Denise, Randy's um, fiance, and Randy has been down here for the last couple of days. So we've been able to talk this through. And Randy has been absolutely phenomenal about it. Uh, um, I'm so glad that I've been able to see him before heading off back to the UK tomorrow because um, we're still friends. And he has been very, very cool about it. My biggest concern is that he had made a lot of modifications to this bike, you know, special foot pegs, special luggage, an auxiliary fuel tank, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I just hope that he's not going to have to battle with the insurance companies um, to get all of that stuff uh, replaced. You know, the bike on, on its own is a bog standard basic um, GSA. It was probably worth about eight grand, nine grand maybe, but with all the accessories that Randy had put on it, we're talking probably 17, 18 grand's worth. Mm-hmm. Um, he really had this bike as a very, very useful bit of kit. So, um, yeah, you can see why this nearly fitted in with my most embarrassing um, story from the yeah, motorcycle. It's, it's, but, it's but Randy like a really, top, really, top, really top bike, mate. That's great. Brian, I'm really glad that you prompted that because um, I would have kicked myself at the end of this for not having said that. So thank you, mate. No I'm sorry, mate. Shirley. I just think you should um, not buy any raffle tickets or lottery tickets in the next little while because you've done every ounce of good luck you, you've got in your life. <laughs> the fact that you weren't knocked underneath the car. Yeah, true. Yeah, for sure. And that you've just a... got a broken wrist, you know. You are really, really lucky. So. Oh, hugely so. You know, the first question the paramedics asked me when they got to me was, were you run over? Well, I mean, it was a little bit bizarre, and I had to smile at the time. I was still flying on adrenaline, of course, so I wasn't feeling any pain. But I'm actually standing up and walking around, and um, did you get run over? Mm. But I suppose (laughs) the the body can do that. You know, you get run over in the middle, and adrenaline deals with a lot of pain, doesn't it? So, But, yeah, no, I've I've been hugely lucky. And, surely, I never buy raffle tickets or anything like that anyway because I do never win. But Bergie does buy my raffle tickets, and she always wins for me. She's a class act. <laughs> We've got to meet that girl. Yeah, if she exists. Oh, yeah. Yep, she's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with the recovery, mate. Thank yeah. you very much. So for plugs, Graham, what do you have? Uh, right, well, um, I've just, like today, got back to Bulgaria. So the last two weeks I've been sleeping in the dispatch room at my mum's house. And <laughs> Which we all know is a busy and flourishing environment. Oh, it's not a good place to try and sleep. I mean, 24 7 wow. people in and out. It's like sleeping in an Amazon warehouse. I can it's imagine. It. <laughs> oh, you should be so lucky. Yet, what I discovered was there are eight, count them, eight box sets left. Only eight. If you were thinking about getting a box set, there's eight left. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to get any more printed. We'll have to see. Um, so there's eight boxes. So that's plug number one. Plug number two is um, I had a, a liquid lunch actually yesterday. God, it was only yesterday. No, it was no, it's, no, it's tomorrow now. So it's the day before yesterday because it's one thirty in the morning now. But anyway, um, with a guy called John Hepburn, who I know as artist John because I've known him for most of my adult life, and uh, he's helped Sam with a lot of his designs and Super stuff. Jump. 
and uh, he's helped me turn my PDFs into eBooks and helped me with my covers and set my photos and do my maps, all sorts of stuff. And uh, it was mainly a, a lunch because he's helped me out with some recent stuff with the publishing in the US, but also to discuss a couple of website things because he does that for me. But another thing, and this is the great thing about drinking with a creative mind, is coming up with these wonderful ideas. And we, of course, I've got, I've only got two more T-shirts left, and I need to get a new T-shirt. And we have come up with this spectacular concept and design for the next T-shirts. Because if you haven't got the time or the discipline to write a new book, and that was the theme of the last show, was when you're going to have a new book out. Have you got a new material? Have you got a new book? No, I'm living Bulgaria. I'm having way too much fun. But. I have got a new T-shirt design. <laughs> so pretty soon, and I will explore this more and talk about it more in the, in the next Raw, but um, man, have we come up with a brilliant idea for a new T-shirt. And that's um, – so both very um, selfish, self-gratifying uh, plugs, all about me, me, me and my products, but they're my two plugs. Eight more box sets left. And watch this space for a spectacular new T-shirt and no new book on the horizon. <laughs> when, when you said you had two T-shirts left, I thought that you meant that you were going to wear. You only had two T-shirts left, but you have two Graham Field T-shirts. Is that the one that says, I was sent here by Graham Field? <laughs> yeah, Graham Field told me to come to Georgia. It's a secret. <laughs> the box set, though, for, for anyone who doesn't know, that's that's a pannier. That was some. That was a stupid idea, I guess, that you came up with that didn't make any money, or was was that it? That was a bloody genius idea that everybody else wished they'd thought of first. <laughs> it is, too, <laughs> oh, isn't it? I agree. We have one, and um, it looks very smart sitting on our bookshelf, I've got to say. What does the box set cost? Uh, well, I've just had to put, because the postage has gone up, I've had to charge 36.99 in the UK I think it's a I think worldwide which is obviously everywhere outside of Europe I think it's about 59 I'm sorry about that it's just the postage fees but the it's, it's significantly cheaper to buy three books that way and get a free key ring and get a load of stickers and get signed copies and get some flyers that you really should read because I wouldn't put them in there if they were just crap and uh, so yeah it's a <laughs> so no this is a wonderful thing i i don't know if i'll do more we'll just have to see but um for now there's there's eight sitting there in the dispatch room my bedroom for the last two weeks and um so if you did what if you have been thinking about it for christmas or a friend's birthday or something they ain't gonna last that's what i got but to say. what's cool about the box set is the box if you don't know already the box is a duplicate of your pannier i mean a mini duplicate but it's a duplicate of your pannier so what you've got is you've got this cool looking motorcycle pannier on your bookshelf. To me, I think it's great. <laughs> I'm keeping very, very quiet about this because, yes, I was one of those people who was envious that you thought of it first field. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It took a four, it took a, it took a seven day uh, yacht trip around some Greek islands to come up with the idea. But when I did, I thought, right, my job here is done. <laughs> uh, Maybe cool. you can license that to Sam. Well, uh, he's got a four, so I don't know if it's oh, going to work. Yeah, he needs yeah. to do a, 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 a top box set. <laughs> right. Shirley, what do you have for a plug? Well, ours is a joint plug, and it's a oh. bit me, me, me. Or You've him, stolen more. <laughs> yeah, good on you. Person. I think you owe me after the way you've treated me. Oh, here we go. Um, good one. One more. Right. <laughs> this is probably um, for Australian listeners, but Australian Road Rider, which features Rixie's roads every month, 
If you have a look at the latest issue, there's a couple of rather spectacular photos of overland travellers and details on how they um, modify their bikes, including Libby and uh, Graham's bike and some other travellers that we've met and uh, some pretty incredible photos of people riding around the world in different locations, um, going across the salt flats in Bolivia and just hanging out down the road and um, uh, Graham looking very stylish with something very peculiar taped to the front mudguard of your motorcycle. What is that on the front mudguard of your KLR, Graham? That's his hair care products. Oh, it's my Scott Euler <laughs> bottle. It's, it's my Scott Euler bottle. There was nowhere else ah, to put it. Ah. And I walked around a loaded bike with it thinking, where can I put it? And I thought, well, if I drilled a couple of holes in the front mudguard, I could put a Jubilee clip there and hold it. It'll be weight distribution. It will be out the front. And um, and, and I thought, well, I'm going to that. if I do that, I'm going to devalue the bike. I thought, it's a 750 quid bike. How much am I seriously going to value it? <laughs> so I drilled a couple of holes and, and it's sat there ever since. And uh, yeah, it's spectacular. Weight distribution out of the way, a little bit phallic looking. And, uh, I was about to say that, yeah. Where can I buy this fabulous magazine? Uh, uh, just between you, me, and the Gatepost, I've got a PDF to send you guys. Oh, cool. <laughs> Excellent. Sure. Come on. Thank you. You're supposed to pitch the magazine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, but that's just for them. <laughs> okay. But... For the boys. Everyone else. Um, I don't know. It's, tra- it's called Australian Road Rider Magazine. Okay. And it's available Australia, New Zealand. I, I, I'm not sure. I think I'll have to find out from the editor, but I reckon you can get it online if you wanted to. Okay. I yeah, think you can. I've written a few articles for them, and I really like the attitude of this magazine and the mix of the articles that they um, that they put in there. So, yeah, um, I will definitely be getting a hard copy as well, but I would love to see that PDF first. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll do it when we get it. Me as well. Just trying to get included. Um, Grant, do you have a plug? I know we we already had a sort of a plug, but do you have another plug? Yeah. The other new thing that we've just released uh, a few weeks ago was blogs. Uh, Everybody wants to do a blog. Well, the Horizons Unlimited blogs are back and they're better than ever. Uh, Again, all in the new system, uh, fully responsive, easily done from your phone anywhere. There's no restrictions on photos. You can embed video right into your post from anywhere. And if you're somewhere that is already in destinations, you can embed that destinations info in seconds into your blog and then add your own comments about it. So it's a, a great place to put all your blogs. Uh, again, we're back to it. We have a central resource. If you want to get famous or you just want to do something really easy and simple, this is really easy, easy to use and very flexible. Again, you can do it from your phone or from your tablet or whatever it is you want to use. It doesn't matter. But, uh, it's all on HU and that's where we've got, I think, We've got 250 blogs on there right now from recent, a lot of recent ones, and the Traveler's Tales on the Hub, which we're going to incorporate into the new blogging system in the coming future. Uh, so there will be, I don't know, somewhere around 1,000 stories altogether, and you can get yours at the top. And the really cool thing that I like about the new system is if you add a post right now, guess what? You're at the top of the list on the uh, index page where people go first. So every time you do a post, you go to the top of the list. The new system, the new website is modern, up-to-date, fully responsive, fully flexible. We can do amazing things with it. 
the stuff that we can do going forward is going to blow you away. We're just getting started. Because before when you wanted a blog, you had to sort of email you and, and see and ask yeah, for a, that, right? It was a pain in the neck. Right. So now yeah. you just go ahead and you you log on and you, you set your own blog up. Yep. I want to have a blog. Bam. It's there instantly. You can literally have a post in minutes. And it's a great extension if you already have a blog too. If, like, cause you know, if you're looking for exposure on the internet, it's a great way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. We want people to post. If you've got your own blog, you may find that ours is easier to use, which has a lot of advantages. Um, it, it's being, and, and the nice thing is that you don't have to worry about it. It just happens. Uh, it's easy to do. You can add your points of interest, your stories, your blogs. You can, um, with one click, you can send out an email to everybody that signed up to your subscriber list. Uh, uh, you've done a new post. Click. Everybody on your list gets an email saying there's a new post by whoever you are. So it, it's really easy to use and lots of features. And we've got lots more features planned. Uh, it just takes us time, but but it's happening. It's moving right along. I saw a thing on Facebook recently. It said, if you do a bike trip and don't do a blog, did it really happen? <laughs> ah, there's a T-shirt. <laughs> That's a T-shirt. <laughs> yes. I'll have to get that on our page right away. Thanks, Graham. You were going to say, Jim? So if I sign up right now, what's my web address going to be? Okay, this is the, the really cool part. It's going to be the title of your blog. Oh. So if you want to have a smooth, smooth, cool, catchy, it would be um, horizonslimited.com slash stories slash Jim, or sorry, slash Jim, and slash whatever the title is. So it's mm. under your name. And the nice thing is that you can have multiple blogs. If you want to do a trip to Africa this year, that's great. That's a blog. You want to do a trip to South Africa next year, that's great. That's another blog. And they're uh. both accessed by going to your account, your name. Anybody can go to slash Jim, and there's all your trips underneath it. It's all listed right there. So like trip reports, only you can actually connect these to the main thing now of destinations. Yes. It's Ooh. all interconnected. One of the driving forces that I've been working for for over 10 years is that everything should be connected to everything. My idea is that we want to know about a country. Great. We go to the country and there's all kinds of information and there's fuel prices and there's um, destinations, all the in interesting places, but that's also connected to the next country and they're connected by border crossings or whatever. Uh, if I want to know about Graham Field's stories, they should all be there in one place, but from him, and he mentions, for instance, this place in Bulgaria, I can click on that, go to destinations and there's all the information about it. There's the price of uh, ad admission, all that's connected. So we're working really hard to connect everything and anything. Whether it's a destination, a story, information about places, it's all connected. And you can follow paths through the entire thing, website to get to all sorts of different places and find what you need to know. I mean, we all have a million questions. We spend hundreds of hours researching and trying to find out what's going on where. If it's all in one place, it's really easy. And with it, the connections that we'll have to make it all work, I think everybody's going to love it. I like it. New.horizonsunlimited.com. Or just yep. horizonsunlimited.com and find your way through. Great stuff. Yep. Well, we have been recording now for four hours and 72 minutes, something like that. And uh, this may make our longest raw yet, but I think we're done. Does anyone, did anyone feel they left something out? Though, Jim. It's been two hours and 37 minutes, not four hours. Whatever, Grant. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> just to be patient. Well, it's, 
Well, it's tomorrow for Graham. It's now daytime here, and it's a really lousy day. Ah, that's too oh. bad. It's, it's, it's sunny here. It's grey and yuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got um, blue skies and 110 degrees Fahrenheit in Bakersfield at the moment. Wow. Ooh, nice. That is beautiful right here in British Columbia. Jim, you should have been back home. I know, I know. Stop rubbing my nose. We have had some unbelievable weather as well. When we arrived here at Superior, I don't know if I told you guys, that we came in during a massive storm and the wind is blowing so hard. The, the It's rocking us back and forth. The the rain is horizontal. The trees are breaking off and coming down. We're thinking, okay, we got to find Lovely. a different spot that's a little bit safer. It was an unbelievable day. So, But today is sunny and it's uh, it's warm. Oh, it no. is now 20 to 2 in the morning. Can we try and do something about these time zones? Absolutely. <laughs> now, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I do have a solution. We've worked a lot on this, so I hope you guys can appreciate this. It hasn't just Graham's been me. Gonna move. Oh, did you? Did, did Elizabeth already tell you? Because no. that's no. all we're going to do. We're going to have Graham Field move from Bulgaria to British Columbia. That's going to solve oh, okay. that problem there. That's great. Okay. Send the yep. tickets first class, please, yeah, Jim. That's already on the way. That's, it's, it's in the mail. Just check your mail. Do you get mail there in Bulgaria? And, yeah, and we're, and we're going to do the same thing with Sam. We're going to bring him to British Columbia. And then all of us oh, are just going to meet the Rickses on a good time. Okay. <laughs> I mean, because they just got a new house, right? This may not work for me because my figment doesn't travel very well nowadays. <laughs> You're what? <laughs> the figment of his imagination. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you guys, no. I'll tell you what. This, this show has made my arm hurt because I've been laughing so much. It's sitting on my stomach and bouncing up and down every time you guys say something <laughs> funny. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. Well, I, I need more painkillers. Give me more drugs now. <laughs> you're probably going to find that's going to hurt for a long time yet. Um, which hand is it, Sam? Well, if I, it's my left hand, that's so left fortunately, hand, right. right hand for book signing. I haven't been doing any weird ones. But, I mean, last when I had a problem with my, um, with my right hand one time, um, I was trying back in the days of traveler's checks and trying to sign your signature with your left hand. It just doesn't work, does it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well, certainly not for me. Does it? <laughs> yeah, it's fine for me. I don't like know why you would have any issues. I'm left-handed. It works fine. Grant <laughs> and Graham are left-handed. You yeah. guys I'm are left-handed too. Really? really? Now look at that. Wow. <laughs> wow. What are the odds of that? Yeah. Creative but, people. Creative yeah. people are left Yeah, that's what all the yeah, left-handed Jack, people say. Jack Lucasen, <laughs> left-handed, long-haired Libra. And there's a, you, you look at people signing their books, there's a huge percentage of them are left-handed because if you create enough to write a book, then you're generally left-handed. And if yeah, you're right-handed, a few, people, a few right-handed people turn out a good book, but most of them don't. Thanks, Graham. I'm so glad that I'm in that in that food there. <laughs> you, made, you made the cat team. Oh, Graham, yeah, thanks, Graham. Graham makes T-shirts. <laughs> the new Graham, that is the creative I, um, side. I worked at a, the Melbourne Writers Festival for many years, and they used to have the book signing room. And after the authors had done their sessions, they'd go up to the bookshop and sit down and sign books. And every year, the majority of the writers were left hand. Left-handed, and that included international writers, local writers, unknowns, really famous. The majority were left-handed. Yeah, we struggle through many aspects of life, but when it comes to creativity, we've got it down. Exactly, (laughs) we do. We do. People mock. Well, that... <laughs> watch out! Watch out for that sneaky left-hander. <laughs> that wraps that up. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you, guys. Yeah, nice one, Jim. Good talk Good to you, everybody. Now.
Thank you so much for everybody. Well, that about wraps up ARR Raw, episode 18. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My co-host, Sam Manicom, who lives in the UK. He's a world traveler, writer, and author of Overland Travel Books. Find out more about Sam at www.sam-manicom.com. Grant Johnson is located in British Columbia, Canada. He is also a world traveler, lifelong motorcyclist. He's also one of the founders of Horizons Unlimited, the hub, literally, for motorcycle overlanders. You need to drop by this website and get connected at www.horizons.com unlimited.com brian ricks and shirley hardy ricks are from australia they are both world travelers authors of some great travel books on their adventures find out more about them at www.aussiesoverland.com and graham field is another world traveler motorcyclist and author he's got some great books out there about his adventures by motorcycle he is from the uk originally now lives in bulgaria find out more about graham field at www.gramfield.co.uk my name is jim martin this is arr raw drop by our website to listen to all these episodes and more at www.adventureriderradio.com See you next month